The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome whoops, to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. Uh, you know, you, when you do things off of the normal day, uh, you you normally do things things get kind of screwy. But, nevertheless, we are here, we are back. It is I, your host, Roddy Cat, and you can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. You can find me at News Nurse Need on Twitter. You can find me at uh, TB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And that sound effect that you hear comes from none other than our man in Brooklyn. I don't, well, there's probably Christmas songs uh about where he's from but nevertheless christmas was last week so it doesn't really matter one agent underscore 70 what's up everybody tim's for my hooligans in brooklyn (laughs) (laughs) i was about to say i found another sound drop i see yeah you're gonna yeah all out there I mean, you know, you you just have a bevy of stuff to, co- to kind of go through, so it's not like you have no shortage of uh, drafts to find. Exactly, um, exactly. But That's also, a little bit of a hint at some of the behind-the-scenes um, uh, pain and suffering in trying to find Roddy Cat a good sound drop for uh, for to represent, you know? Yeah, pretty much. It's slim pickings for for uh, good drops for about South Carolina. Um, well, yep, yep. But nevertheless, folks, uh, we are back again, uh, and you can find... Oh, I was about to say, um, you know, despite Run DMC not uh, not choosing <laughs> Brooklyn, obviously they are not from Brooklyn, as a, as a uh, setting for their Christmas song, it still works out some kind of right. way. But uh, regardless, um, you can find this here podcast... On the Coast of the Podcast Network, that's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this podcast on your podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the, the Coast of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And, uh, folks, we, I, I, it is fair to say that uh, we are going to start off with a double dipping of one Pedro Pascal yes. this week because we are starting off with uh, the last episode of uh, season two of Star Wars The Mandalorian, season, uh, episode eight. So, spoilers. Oh, yeah, spoilers. I know Roddy Cab puts that tagline at the at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. But for those of you who are catching us on YouTube, 
The warnings are here. We just gave it to you. We're going to ring the spoiler bell right now for episode eight of season two of The Mandalorian. Indeed, as Sabala would say. Um, and let me pull up the, the handy dandy recap here, even though realistically, um, this one's cut and dry, and I, f- I feel like I, I do remember it enough to where I don't need necessarily need the, the recap, but we're going to do this anyway just to have some notes. Right, right. That's good. I was about to say, if you could send me that link while I play okay. our our little theme uh, snippets, to snippets. Don't get don't don't let us get in trouble, YouTube. It's a snippet of what this show really means for this. Uh, you know uh, what this episode really means for this fandom. That's right. We give them the people what they want. That's what John Favreau and Dave Filoni are doing, as they tend with to do. Help. Yeah, I was gonna say with the help of Peyton Reed directing this, this episode. Wait, did he also write it too? If I'm not mistaken, or was it Favreau wrote it? Favreau yeah, Favreau wrote it. wrote it. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that. So we start off with um, a, a chase in space, as you would, where. Um, you see an Imperial shutter, shuttle, not the most um, maneuverable thing, you know, not the most maneuverable ship in the Star Wars universe. But, you know, apparently it's um, seeming to be um, slightly outmaneuvering Slave One for a little bit uh, in the first couple of seconds of, um, of, the, of this episode before getting clipped by an iron ca- cannon. Mm-hmm. Um you know and what but we also see that there's one uh Dr. Pershing who we haven't seen since well we actually have seen him this uh in a hollow vid this season but uh but we've seen him more a little bit more prominently in season 1 Dr. Pershing being the person you know who was doing experiments on uh one baby girl baby grogu um in the beginning of the season 1 so he's being you know uh shuttled somewhere we don't know where it doesn't really matter at this point um we can assume it's going to see moff gideon because they don't never really get into that part but um slave one catches up they 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 uh disable the ship they board the ship uh there is a (laughs) a funny uh to me anyway exchange when the when the when the mandalorian and um cara dune board the ship because one of the pilots is like, uh, I don't know this dude, and then gets uh, gets taken out. <laughs> right. Right. You know, there's this one hardcore Imperial who's just like, wait a second, man, and and, and, and blows him away. And, and it's the uh, it's that Imperial who who's a little bit on the hardcore side mm-hmm. who start who, who tries to give as well as he gets tries to because it's always funny to hear Imperials call the rebels terrorists. Right. You know. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, and I guess, uh, and this is at this point is we, I don't think we mentioned this in past episodes, but um, a couple of episodes back, we may or may not have, we found out that Cara Dune, um, you know, played by Gina Grano or whatever, but um, uh, is from Alderaan. And there's, and if you've noticed, if you've watched, she's got a, like a, a teardrop tattoo, which I've, I'm trying to remember if I've seen any more recently than this in like the, um, in cart in the, in the, um, comics or whatnot. And I, I don't remember, doesn't really matter, but so the, the Imperial guard kind of recognizes is that, that, yeah, uh, it's double, right. 
It's the rebel symbol in a teardrop. Right. Right. So, but I'm trying to remember if I've actually seen that in a in a recent comic or anything, but I don't remember if I have or not. So, but uh, this this uh, Imperial uh, shuttle pilot recognizes this and tries to get under. Does and you kind of see where this is going? Right. Well, you could almost see where this is going when he shoots the other pilot, but nevertheless, you know, when he starts trying to goad her, right? <laughs> you already see where this is where this is going because he's got Doctor Pershing hostings, uh, hey, uh, Pershing uh, hostages. Like, look, you you know, y'all will be blamed for this if he, if he gets shot. But I'm sitting here like, well, okay, even if even if you shot him, they could still shoot you. So you're in a bad position one way or the other. Yep. So anyway, uh, after a little exchange where this uh, Imperial was like, hey, I was on the Death Star, and, and Kara was like, uh, which one? I'm like, okay, that was moderately funny, but also you already know. I see what you're doing there, though. Um, right. Because obviously, it was, you know, it was, it, was, it was only one that killed all, take, took out uh, Alderaan. Uh, and, you know, and this um, pilot was like, yeah, this, that, that, and then you, you know, act like uh, Agent 70 said, and was like, yeah, what was, um, uh, you know, it was a good thing that we got rid of that whole nest of terrorists, and then bloop, he got gets taken out. Well, he basically says before that, just just a, a, a quick note. Mm-hmm. Before that, he says, "Think about all the people on those bases." Right. right. Another attempt at humanizing the Imperials, because um, uh, you know this is right on the heels of uh, of the episode last episode where. Um, we get an ep- where we get an episode of the Imperials uh, trying and actually succeeding in, um, or at least shipping some of that um, that explosive stuff. I forget the name of it already. Rhydonium. Right, the Rhydonium. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't get away with it, obviously. You know, spoilers for last uh, episode, <laughs> but um, for the previous episode, episode seven. But um, you know, we do get a shot of the Imperials celebrating. So. Um, this is yet another uh, little shot of, I don't want to say humanity, but at least um, something akin to that um, uh, injected into the uh, the depiction of the Imperials in this episode. Right. I mean, and it is a thing that has come up in, you know, sometimes jokingly in the past where it's like, yeah, no one thinks about the, the contractors on the um or, or you know the 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 volunteers on the Death Star or whatever. Yeah, that was the Kevin Smith show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I was like, yeah, you're right. Because it's like, yeah, it's a gang of people got killed for no reason. But at the same time, whatever. Um, it is what it is. So uh, as we go on, title cut right there. Um, uh, the the gang takes uh Doctor Pershing. And actually, there was something we forgot to mention about uh, another thing. Um. Uh, from either last episode or first episode, but how cool is it that we saw the inside of Slave One? Uh, first of all, and two, you know the swiveling of uh, Slave One, Slave One, as it's uh, like taken off or, or whatever. Right? Don't we get that in this episode or is I, it last episode? Uh, it was last episode. We see them okay. inside, but they're already in flight on this one, so it's already kind of in position. Okay, so yeah. it was at the end of last episode. I couldn't remember, mm-hmm. but we kind of, I think we forgot to mention that. I was like, that was some cool stuff, like because we never got to see that, you know, how how that worked out, you know, right. in that episode or ever, really. They actually mentioned that in the um, the gallery episode for uh, that just dropped. Oh, nice for season on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I definitely recommend that episode. It, it's pretty good. It's kind of like an overall view of 
um, the making of season two of mm-hmm. The Mandalorian. So uh, that's the that gallery uh, 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 kind of documentary style series on on the Star Wars section of Disney Plus. Um, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, in terms of seeing the innards of Slave One function as it kind of assumes its flight position from its landing position, which has always looked very awkward to me. Right. Uh, we also get as, and just as a quick note, we also, it was, it's always interesting to me, like I said, I'm glad that you mentioned it, that we see the different ways spaceships change shape in order to land in Star Wars, mm-hmm. in order to like, make space on the landing strips, because what ship do we see um, when when Slave One touches down, none other than the ship that we know. I know there's a name for it. Um, I don't know if you know it, but it's the it's the ship associated with uh, one Bo Katan Kreese, right? Um, which those I'm um because we've seen those in Rebels and a couple times in well, excuse me, we've seen those in Clone Wars and a couple times in Rebels. Um, and I don't remember the name of them right off bat. But I thought they were right. Imperial at first, but that's not the case. Because I think, I want to say those might be Mentor. That's right. They resemble TIE Fighters. Right. The tie, but they're not TIE Interceptors. But what's cool about them is the way they come to a landing. And and I know that in the first episode of The Mandalorian. Oh, no, no. In the last episode of Season 1 of the, of the uh, Episode 8. Mm-hmm. Season 1 of The Mandalorian. It's actually the first time we see the TIE Fighters' wings fold that way. Uh, right. So, in a sense, we also see this is this is our first live action look at the uh, the inter those interceptor style fighters that the Mandalorians fly with their wings pointed straight up into the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're landing. I know we've seen them in that position in Rebels and probably in Clone Wars, but it was definitely definitely a sight to see in 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 the live action depiction to see how they how they uh, portrayed it. So, I thought that was cool. Right, uh, which and we'll get to another ship, which, which but this one is kind of a known quality because I mean, people have if you've watched the movie, you've seen you know Imperial shuttles and the way they go and the way they fold up when when they get ready to land, that kind of stuff. But we'll get into that in a minute. Right. Um, but I, as I mentioned, right. what the the person that they run that they seek out once they have the scientist in tow is none other than Bo-Katan Kreese, and it turns out uh, just one of her fellow night owls, Costco Reeves. Yes. Um, so yeah, they get back and I'm thinking, I thought they were back on where the, the, they may have been, I'm not, it doesn't really say, but, um, they were back on that planet where the Mandalorian ended up getting the ship, um, uh, repaired by the, um, Trask. Uh, I believe so. Probably. I can't remember the name of it, but that sounds right. That was the name of the water planet Trask. Right. So, but anyway, we find them in a bar. Uh, we, uh, Boba Fett and the Mandalorian kind of walk up to uh, Bo Katan and, and Casca. And yeah, I uh, think desert like planet, according to this recap. Gotcha. Um, so, and they go in, they ask for help. And then there's a little, um, there's a little uh, head butting between Boba Fett and Casca. Um, before we find out that apparently um, uh, Boba and, and Bo-Katan know of each other because as Bo-Katan says, uh, when, once they start talking about, or before they really start talking about, um, you know, what uh, what uh, Din wants from them, what the help that Din wants from them, 
you know, there's a little conversation between Bo and Bo-Katan and Boba was like, um, she's like, I know you're, I've heard your voice a thousand times, which she has because she's around in the Clone Wars. Um, right. And it clearly, the, you know, Boba Fett knows who she is because of, um, actually, it's not really said, but I'm assuming that's also probably either Clone Wars reference or just the fact that, you know, you know. He knows of them because he was around, and you know he he knows of the goings on on, on Mandalore, he, which he clearly does would would know. Um, right, at least some of it. Right, you know? at least some of it. Because uh, he's busy being he's busy doing his um his bounty hunting, exactly. but um, but uh, you know I, I there was a couple of really cool lines in here. One is, and and I really got a kick out of this. Shout out to uh, Sasha Reeves, Sasha Banks, that is, aka Kafka Reeves, aka Mercedes. Um, uh, I forget her last name, like Bernardo or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, like I remember her first name is Mercedes. Yeah. That's the easy part to remember, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, she gets to say, and 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 it's such an ironic line. I didn't know sidekicks were allowed to speak. <laughs> You know, I really got a kick out of that because I don't think she had very many lines in her first appearance. Not so, many, but she did. Yeah, she probably had a couple at at best. Right. So it was definitely an ironically written and and and, and delivered line on her part. But she did get to shine in this episode, which was really cool to see. Right. Um, also, as you mentioned, um, uh, Bo-Katan says, "I've heard your your voice a thousand times." But she also mentions, "Don't you mean your donor?" When in reference to um, in reference to um, uh, the owner of the armor and his father right. uh, being, you know, uh, him being an actual clone, which is true. Mm-hmm. Right. And obviously she could have, you know, learned about this uh, during the Clone Wars. You know, um, it's not like it was that big, big of a secret. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, it was like it was that big of a secret at the time. So, you know you know put it put it together <laughs> so so regardless yeah she definitely knows about his his uh his his origin story and i'm like oh this is gonna be another fight started up but that didn't happen um with between them two but yeah the whole little the whole little thing between boba and uh costco was like it's like all right we get a little fight scene here it was i almost said it was unnecessarily but it was actually kind of cool to see just to see them two squaring off Right, and they broke out some WWE wrestling moves too. You know, they exactly. had to throw in that spinning DDT. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> of course, because you got a wrestler in there. You got to do something. You got to make it work, right? <laughs> She's got to take a bump or two, right? Exactly. You know, or two. I, I don't know if this worked. No, I was about to say she's, she's got a job, but that's not. I don't even know if that's the right term to use here. So, um, right. I, I don't watch wrestling, folks. So don't. So anyway, regardless, move right along. <laughs> So, uh, so after all of that happens, um, you know, uh, they talked, which uh, is kind of the funny thing in the last couple of, in these two episodes is like all, um, after whatever mis, uh, uh, misunderstanding happens or whatever the captain would be, then pretty much says that they had the child and then, and then anybody's just like, all right, I'm immediately on board. <laughs> Cause basically Bo-Katan did not have that much time with the child or it didn't seem to have any affinity with them. So it wasn't like, you know, I mean, granted, yeah, they saved, they saved them from, you know, uh, uh, the Quarians, the Quarians, uh, on the first meeting, but that was not like they really had that much interaction, mm-hmm. but you know, she's like, all right, bet I'm with you. So they all go, they get back on, um, 
they pretty much come up with this uh, this plan to um, infiltrate got Moff Gideon's ship and uh, get to, to get uh, Grogu back. Uh, and uh, while they're sitting there plotting, and you know, we see everybody in there: Finnick and and Cardoon and um, uh, you know, the Bob is flying, so he's not there, and the, you know, the, the and pretty much everybody else that was and Bo-Katan is also there, so they're plotting this out. But uh, as they're making their plan, Doctor Pershing is like, "Yeah, um, what you thought about what's going on on the ship is not the case," because they were basically under the impression that. Um, there weren't that many. There was there was using a skeleton crew on the on these on the ship, but we come to find out from Doctor Pershing that uh, the death troop the death troopers who are there, um, you know, they have a battalion of those. But what we come to find out from him is that they are no longer human as they once were. And as as Doctor Pershing says, like yeah, the human factor was the weakest link. Uh, in and the last couple of versions of Death Troopers, so they pretty much made them droids. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, okay, that that kind of makes a lot of sense, especially in um, Star Trek terms. Because if you did not, if there's the thing you didn't know about the Death Troopers, or is they were pretty much dead humans that they reanimated and put in suits and you know made them a little more badass. But you know. I guess that was a, a, a supposedly a design flaw, and and we have seen Death Troopers, you know, relatively recent in the um, in the uh, comic books, and you know, obviously Rogue One, and you know, here. <laughs> so anyway, um, so he's like, yeah, so they're so obviously since they're since they're uh, not just shoots and they're they're droids, they don't show up as life signs, so then they're like, um, uh, well, how. Do you? They pretty much try to change their plan to where it's like, all right, fine, we got a diversion, so we're gonna take the, sh- the ship, we're gonna take the bridge, and um, and the Mandalorian goes after the uh, after Grogu, and they were like, uh, how long would it take, to, you know, before them before they activate? Because what we also find out from Doctor Persian is they take uh, the Death Troopers take a little while before they spin up and and they're active because they call they take too much power to kind of pretty much keep on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking that into effect, they they revise their plan a little bit. Uh, they take uh, Finnick takes something, his a control thing from Doctor Pershing, and gives us the Mandalorians like here, take this to kind of keep try to keep them at bay, you know, just in it's case. Gunner- cylinder, huh? It's his code cylinder, exactly. Um, so then the the plan goes into the effect where say one, uh, they basically you know the the they repurpose the shuttle, uh. And make it like Slave One is chasing down the shuttle again, so that they could, uh, you know, get it on the ship, basically. Which that plan goes into action. It works. It kind of goes off. Well, mostly without a hitch, because a couple of Tie Fighters. So basically, the plan was that hey, use the shuttle, block the uh, Tie Fighter tubes, so that none of them would be able to get out. But a couple of them end up getting out, which Slave One pretty much handed them quite handily. But nevertheless, none of no, none of the others. Um, got out. But also part of the plan was that they were pretty much going to take the ship so that Bo-Katan could use it to to, uh, to reclaim Mandalore. Okay. Uh, which I forgot to mention when um, in the last part uh, when we talked about when they when the when they um, you know when they met up with uh, Bo-Katan it was like uh, Boba was like uh, Mandalore has been glass so I don't know what's, what's, what's the point of doing that but you know 
but Bo Katan's like, hey, that's our place. We're trying to, re- we're going to take it, you know, we're going to take another spot back. Anyway, so plan goes into action. They get on the ship. Um, uh, Fennec and uh, Bo Katan, and, um, you know, they basically do the diversionary thing and shoot down a bunch of loads of uh, stormtroopers on their way to the bridge. And they're also, oh, one other thing about this was they say that Bo Katan says, like, Moff Gideon is mine. Which, you know, you probably could tell that that probably wasn't going to happen the way they expected it to be, especially knowing Moff Gideon, especially in what we know of, you know, you know, Moff Gideon pretty, seems pretty cunning. But regardless, we'll get to that in a second. So that happens. Um, the Mandalorian, you know, after the distraction happens, he makes for the brig where Baby, Go- Bro- uh, Baby Groku is um, being held. Moff just- Gideon second just pause here for a second mm-hmm. um i wanted to mention something that nagged me a little bit when this okay. was happening mm-hmm. the person that they picked to relay the distress signal and, and 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 to announce that they're going to make a crash landing is bo katan yes so why on earth would they pick the one voice that moff gideon probably recognizes even though he probably suspects something is up and, and, and it's almost revealed later on that he he might know even before he might have known even before this that Bo-Katan obviously is on his trail, you know, because, you know, he's gotten wind of this probably. But, you know, you would think that they would have picked somebody else's voice, anybody else's voice to yell into the into the comm system to yell out, you know, we need a you know, we need to crash land. We're under attack. No, it's Bo-Katan's voice. And I'm like, come on, man. I know her voice. <laughs> Yeah, so and you I definitely... just want to mention that before you before you um, uh, uh, advanced any further into no. um, the plot synopsis, because we're already dealing with um, Mando in the um, the Dark Trooper Bay. Right. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. But also, it yeah, you definitely get the sense that Moff Gideon knew something was up, regardless of whether he recognized that um, it was Bo Katan's voice or not. I mean, some could say that maybe it could have been it sound it could have sounded coming out the other end like it was disguised a little bit because you know sometimes when the when they do radio chatter on on um, in Star Wars, it does sound a little bit different. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you're right about that, and I kind of I, I kind of agree with you on that part. But regardless of he knew he felt like he knew something was up because you could even see it in his faces that part was going on. It's like hmm, this, this something yeah, something's going something's going on here. And shout out to uh, shout out to um, oh my god, Giancarlo Esposito. Mm-hmm. His facial acting in this episode <laughs> is awesome, and we will get back. We will touch on this point again soon. Absolutely. So uh, diversion happens. Uh, Mando's going to going to the bridge. Uh, uh, so I'm trying to remember if we find out whether they already took the bridge at this point, but we definitely see the Mandalorian kind of getting to the point. But we also see the Death Trooper spinning up, which apparently it took less time than they thought they were going to have for for um, for them to spin up and, and get ready to go, because we do see the motions of that happening as they're taking the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time that uh, Mando gets to the gets to the brig, they pretty much um, they pretty much uh, booted up. Booted. <laughs> and um uh and Mando sees this and he was like, Oh shit. Um but he just does his best to, you know, keep them from coming in. One happens to get in while the rest of them um you know, while the rest of them are still kind of behind the the blast doors or whatever the case may be. So Mando ends up having a fight with uh one death trooper, which he has some problems with, but ends up uh taking out, taking care of 
after after being knocked around a few different times. Right. He has a lot of problems with this dark trooper. He really does have his hands full. Mm-hmm. He breaks out pretty much all of his Mandalorian tricks from the gauntlets and the the um flamethrower. Exactly. The flamethrower, the the wire, the um uh whatchamacallit, the uh the sparrows, mm-hmm. uh the whole kit and caboodle, and he finally is able to Take it out with his one main melee weapon, which is conveniently with him now, which is the Beskar spear that he um, that he uh, liberated from um, uh, Morgan Ellsworth. Yes, oh, thank you. Yeah, Elsbeth. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, which we you know we haven't really seen. Well, we might have. I'm trying to remember if we've actually seen him using it in the cup last one. But regardless, we knew he had it with him. So now. I admit it, I, at this part, I was like, where did he keep that? Because I don't remember seeing it, but I do remember seeing part of the spear kind of being poked up in the back of his armor. So he did, you know. And it's because it's a long enough spear to where it's like it's pretty much uh, as tall as he is. So it was like one of those things like, where the heck did he have it? But obviously, it's, I think it's, it's foldable. I mean, it's uh, you can take it apart. But regardless, he used that, you know, gets I, rid of, huh? I think it folded, actually. I think it was just... It's 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 not one of those long spears. Well, what I mean, not folded, but yeah, I think you could like. Um, uh, I think he had it stirred in, in like a section of his armor. Right. I, it might. Have been, I don't want to say magnetic, but he probably had like a section in his armor that he could just kind of slide that into like a sheath style, so that it was safe. Right. Um, it's like a. But listen, you're you're wearing Mandalorian armor. I'm sure you have little pouches and things attached to it all over the place where you can put uh, store that right but i'm uh, saying though like that would think like if you just had that you know fully fully out that's a long enough spear like that spear is almost as tall as he is so that's kind of thing even if you walk around in armor that thing would kind of stick out in the in, you know oh, in, in the back it did the thing so um uh you know i i always think of it as um you know how how does uh Donatello store his bow staff. You well, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but you can see that though. He just puts it in the back of a, where his, uh, his sash is. So and right. you can see that. That's but that's what I envision is something that we're just not seeing on Man. Right. We're just not seeing it. So I guess. Yeah. I'm, but, I'm pretty sure that he's using to, to store it. But in any event Yeah, it kind of doesn't um, matter at that point. But um Because you know, my next note was you knew that Beskar spear was gonna come in handy at some point, and this is where it was. Pretty much. You know, this is the melee weapon, and it does come in handy in in later scenes, and mm-hmm. we will get to that. Because as um, we also, because right, because as we also come to find out, and what we have found out before now, Beskar is pretty much like adamantium in this universe, where uh, it can block even lightsabers, and mm-hmm. any variation therein, and and laser blasts and all that kind of other stuff. So uh, exactly. Just to touch on this last point about the one dark trooper, one dark trooper is a handful for Mando, but you know what? Mando should be in concussion protocol after taking seven punches to the dome right on his helmet from the dark trooper, knocking, you know, dents into the wall. Like, seriously, this guy should have a concussion. Like, he should be, his brain should be like half jello at that point, right? He's I like, kind of thought about that, right? Bang. Bang! Like we don't know what kind of cushioning they have inside that helmet. Bang! But it's also made of best car, so I was thinking at that point because I thought that same thing. But also I was like, maybe there's some vibranium kind of component to best car. Yeah. But you can hear him say because every time, every time, every time he gets hit, you can hear him say, "Uh, uh, uh," you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, but yeah, I thought that same thing. It was like, yeah, he should be his his bell should be rung. <laughs> uh, absolutely, concussion protocol, man. You get the refs gonna call down from the uh, from the booth to take him off the field, right? So, but uh, but yeah, so um, so so Mando uh, ends up finally getting the best of this one dark trooper, and um. He 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 at least temporarily solves the problems of the rest of the dark troopers by ejecting them into the cold depth of space. Yep. Which, you but like I said, it's temporary, right? Uh, and then we come to find out on the other side of this, uh, the uh, the rest of the group took has uh, taken the bridge, killed everybody on there. The Goth, Moth, well, excuse me, Moth Gideon is not there. None to no one's surprise. Well, excuse right. me. To no one, no one's watching. Surprise. Let me rephrase that. Right. But the 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 people there was like, "Where is he? Where is he?" You know. Where else would he be? That was literally my next note. Where right. else do you think Moff Gideon would be? Because you even right. Because you even yeah. Because you even see like when he gets when he gets the picture like like okay I know what's going on here like you can see him almost without actually walking off the without walking off the screen you are you you can pretty much see his world turners like well i know where i need to be right. um and which is where we come up to next because we see mando um you know opening the the um the cell door to only to find that uh, moth gideon dark saber in hand waving it over grogu um uh, menacingly um basically like, oh, is this what you wanted? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so so they kind of chat for a, a second, and Mando's like, "Look, I just want the kid. You can go about your business. I don't, I don't really care. I just want the kid." Which, of you know, in true villain fashion, Moff Gideon's like, "Oh, okay, you can have him. Sure, we're good. <laughs> like, I we don't have. What to- I yeah, I got what I need. So you're, you're so sure." Go ahead and take the shot. And at this point, like during the whole scene, I was like, he's going to kill uh, Grogu. I'm like, I'm going to be so upset. But, mm-hmm. you know, knowing if you've been spoiled about what happened, knowing that that probably wouldn't be the case, either regardless, like I said, you never know. There there could have been, well, at least at, at my viewing, you never know where that could have gone. But, you know, it was like, I I don't see it could have happened because I'm like, it's a, he's a 50 year old kid. You wouldn't do that to a 50 year old kid. But yeah, my opinion probably would. Probably would. So um uh Mando picks up picks up uh Grogu, tries to walk out the door, but of course gets attacked by Moff Gideon and the Dark Dark Saber uh, Dark Saber. Right. Uh puts Grogu down and you know yeah, defends say, himself. Hold on. I was about to say, hold on for a second before you move on into the uh into the sequence. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Don't you think Moff Gideon could have at least made a legit escape if he just left Mando alone with the kid? If he just made a break for it at that point? Mando, I think, would have let him go. Yeah, basically. So that's what, you know, I was just kind of like, why do you have to try to double cross him? You could have actually made a legit getaway attempt. But no, he's got to be a Moff Gideon. Right. And, and, and even on the getaway front, he could have just basically, he had enough time to pretty much like, let's, let, I mean, let, me grab, let me grab the kid, hit an escape pod or a shuttle and bounce. Yeah, that too. You know, yeah, he like you said, he could have legit got out of there if he really wouldn't. But yeah, it was like, of course not. This is not. <laughs> this this is, it wasn't going to end that that terribly. But then again, that would have also set up another season because he was like, well, we got away now, we got to come back. But apparently, they had reasons not to do that, which we will get into, I guess. Um, so yeah, so they start to fight. Um, 
you know, and it's a relatively even match, you know, uh, Beskar armor versus lightsaber, just pretty much, you know, one defense over the other. Um, but, you know, Moff Gideon's all right with the dark saber. We, we can safely say that. Um, but, yeah, but he's no, he's no swordsman. He's really, he's, he's all effort. Right. He, he actually makes up for a lot of, you know, kind of his, uh, um, uh, lack of real sword skill with effort and and uh, and and passion. Right, like he's no thrawn, basically. Right, he definitely does. Um, you know, wield the 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 dark saber. You know, uh, okay. You know, he he's decent with it, but he's not a real swordsman. So mm-hmm. he does kind of get taken out um, by by Mando's uh, uh, close quarter combat with a spear. So mm-hmm. or you know, spear slash staff. Right and the and his armor because you know first because he didn't hadn't whipped it out just yet in, in the beginning of the fight but then happens to whip out the spear real quick and you know defends himself, so that goes on that happens um, and uh, Mando finally takes him down you know within a couple of minutes, uh, uh, and, and you see Moffat is like now nah, what you're gonna do or you know he's basically uh, Mando has the dark saber was like oh well this should be interesting and at the time you're thinking. Well, what does he mean by this? If you're thinking about it, unless you are, unless at this point you already know what he means by that, because it kind of comes up on some um, some Clone Wars lore. Um, it definitely comes up on Clone Wars stuff. Yes. That's the thing. It's and if Rebels, you are full, yeah. you're versed in both Rebels and Clone Wars. This is where the conflict lies. Mm-hmm. So, which is which is also cool. So, right, we're gonna talk about it some more. So, mm-hmm. so. Mando brings uh brings up Gideon and the Darksaber back to the bridge, tries to give the dark well, basically Moth Gideon's like um like um um I think he was saying something about like, like um actually no, he didn't say anything until until the exchange happens. So it was like um because obviously both Katan kinda of wanted to take care of um of uh, Gideon himself, but that didn't happen. Cara Dune is like, oh great, now we can interrogate him, Marv, you know, the Moff, because he's got a lot of secrets and you know, and all the kind of good mess. Um uh Mando tries to give Bo Katan the Dark Saber, but if you are, as we just said, uh steeped, if you know about the the lore of the Dark Saber and uh in, in its place within uh Mandalore's hierarchy and seeing enough of Clone Wars and Rebels to know. Uh, it can't be just handed off. Um, basically, it has to be won in a in a in a fight. Uh, and got the doc. Um, uh, I don't know why I keep messing up his name. Moff Gideon knew knew this quite well, so he was expecting to play Mando against Bo-Katan, which doesn't happen because they get un, uh, interrupted by the the dark troop the the dust troopers coming back uh, on board the ship to right. Because they are droids, after all. They do have rocket boosters, or at least for short distance flying. So they finally engage as a as a as a platoon or as a as a battalion, however large of a group they were, and fly back on Moss to uh, the light cruiser and uh, set off the alarms and make their way to the bridge, and eventually. Um, find themselves on the other side of the blast doors and they literally try not blasting these blast doors down, but punching the blast doors down, which immediately gave me, um, Lord of the Rings flashbacks. You know, when they, 
uh, when they were in uh, in Federalship of the Rings, when they were in uh, Moria, and they were trapped uh, behind when they were trapped in that the one hall, and the orcs and, and uh, Pippin <laughs> pretty much alerted them, or was it Pippin and Mary? One of them alerted them to to where they were, right, and then right, they right. came storming in, and all the orcs came storming in or whatever. Like gotcha, it kind of gotcha. reminded me of that because it was that kind of tension where there's like the doors being knocked down and like they're pretty much staring at the door and you know getting prepared to to go into battle because they knew shit's about to pop off. Uh, so it was kind of kind of reminded me of that just a little bit. So yeah, so uh, the the Dutch troopers knocking down the door and they pretty much get most of the way in. When well, I mean, I was about to say we talked about we talked about the, we 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 kind of glossed over the conversation about between Moff Gideon and Bo-Katan about the Darksaber. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the final points were is that, you know, like I said, one, he was trying to um, pit Bo-Katan between, uh, with, with the Mando because Mando was the one holding the sword and she couldn't just take it from him, even though he was just trying to give it to him. And it, right. it kind of seemed, you know... I was going to say the point that I was making earlier, mm-hmm. which is uh, the, the kind of conflict that comes up from the previous canon that we have seen in uh, uh, see, uh, I even went and did a footnote. Look, I, I, I got the, I brought receipts. Right. Uh, see rebel season four, episode two heroes of Mandalore part two, where Sabine ran actually hands Bo-Katan the dark saber saying she should be the one leading Mandalore and all of the clans agree. Very so good. there is history and precedent that uh that that supports uh the the concept of handing off the dark saber not in combat but willingly and freely the same way mando wants to do it here but in this case bo-katan seems to be bound honor bound by some kind of code the same way mando's kind of honor bound to not take his helmet off so Which they're all sort of, of right slate. they're all sort of subject to these stories and superstitions and traditions in their own way right which i'm glad you mentioned that because i was i was probably going to mention that also because yeah because just like uh bokatan kind of gave mando some shits about you know the the traditions he was following she was still bound by that particular one uh and just like moff gideon says it's like yeah it's not it's not the sword that has the power it's the story you know of the sword and how it was how it gets um how it gets uh, into the hands of the person who's leading at just right. as, just as much. So I was like, yeah, okay, that makes, you know, sure. That, that is definitely lore that's in, in there. So yeah, so that, that little conflict kind of happens, um, which, well, I guess we'll get into uh, at the end of this about, uh, about uh, where that's going to end up going. Right, right, right. So back to, back to the conflict at hand, which is um, the dark troopers pounding on the door saying, right. little pig, little pig, let me in, right? Right. So death troopers are still pounding on the door, you know, or start pounding on the door and they kind of get most of the way through. When suddenly, out of nowhere, out of nowhere the alarm ring. Yes. And it just so happens that, um, you know, the, the radar ping is off and out of nowhere, a lone X-Wing just so happens to just bop by like, hey, I was just in the neighborhood. Like, obviously, I, I can sit here and say it's a familiar X-Wing, but, you know, you know, th- there's been scores of them in, in, in uh, uh, Star Wars' history and in, in including um, in Mandalorian, so you can't really say that. But what's yeah. familiar about it, what's really familiar about it is that it's a lone. 
There is that. That's so, the kicker. That's right. the big hint. So if you're going in this fresh and you're not really knowing, you're like, okay, this, and this is where even I, who kind of knows who one was also got spoiled on, on, you know, what's about to happen sort of, or at least who is about to happen. But, um, um, you know, uh, things that happened in star Wars. So this was like, okay, you see this star, see this X-Wing just, it felt like the, the, this is where the episode kind of took a shift. And I'm not saying the shift for the for the good or bad, but it was just like, okay, this is kind of, you know, you would think it was going to go one way to end this off, but it, but uh, even without knowing this that what's about to happen is going to happen, like, okay, this seems to be a, a change, um, a, a a swerve, if you will, some in some case. But anyway, X Wing comes by. Everybody's like, who the heck is this? Identify yourself. What's going on? We ain't got time for this. We got things. <laughs> we got we got bigger fish to fry on us at this door. Yeah, we- <laughs> You know, I hate to I hate to quote Jar Jar at this time, but we's about to die, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, who are you right. about to die? Exactly, but there's no response from this uh, from this uh, this uh, the X Wings pilot, and I kind of wonder. I should have gone back and see this because obviously you can see um, there's parts of an X Wing that are noticeable. Um, if you think about the top of it. So I was wondering if another thing that we end up coming abroad would have been seen in that shot with, but I would, um, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Anyway, uh, I was about X- to say normal would, but right. it's just so far away. You probably would have had to like really zoom in on it. Right. Maybe like I said, I probably, I might go back and actually, which I did actually end up having to go back and watch the, the, the upcoming scene for a different reason. But uh, X-Wing lands, um while the and the dark the dust troopers stop what they're doing because apparently maybe they sense this going on or uh, since it's happening i'm not not entirely sure but they pretty much stop which we don't know why they did that but um a lone figure steps out now well we don't even see a lone figure but we basically see um a hooded figure uh a dark hooded hooded figure a, a hooded robed figure exactly you know all the alarm bells are ringing. They're all ringing. They're like, ding, ding, ding. Guess what's happening? Especially if and, you know what time frame this is coming through, which is uh, right. after Return of the Jedi. We see a lightsaber. Uh, we hear oh, a lightsaber no, no, sparkle. No, 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 no. Don't jump to that. Don't jump to that. Because we talked about this just before the show. The first thing we see is the hooded robe well, yeah, 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 yeah. on the robes. Well, hold on. The next thing you see is a black and white shot, a black and white shot of this robed, robed figure engaging a lightsaber and deflecting bolts on right. camera and taking out dark troopers. Right. And both and really one of the only people in this little fire team. Right. That's that's protecting um, uh, 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 Grogu. Right. Mm-hmm. Really, the only person amongst this team that leg- that we know legitimately had experience with the, with with this type of right. uh, she's been around Jedi type right. of character says a Jedi right. So that was right, and lights. right, and that was and after we see like like uh, Agent Seventy said, yeah, we see um, we basically get uh, the 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 close caption the 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 CCTV shots of um, right. Uh, of this going on 
Exactly. And, you know, even, you know, at this point in, 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 in the history of the empire, uh, all they can do is afford black and white closed caption television. <laughs> so that's the surveillance. Uh, that's the surveillance shot that we get because we do have to stay period, uh, period. Correct. Right. Of course. So, 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 so we get that and we see Mando turn. Mando is the one who reacts to this. That's who they show reacting to Bo-Katan saying a Jedi because he knows where they just came from. Right. right? And he knows just, his mission, just, which was, you know. Right. They didn't just come from um, Typhon, uh, Typhon, but that, that was two planets ago. Right. Right. But that was essentially, um, you know, he, he, he puts two and two together that, um, that, that this may in fact, and we find out that it is in fact, a response to what Grogu does on Typhon. Mm-hmm. And also, and speaking of responses, um, go ahead, sorry. No, no, I was like, and then we get to what you mentioned, which is the best part, which is the confirmation. Right, well, so, yeah, so, like Angel 70 says, yeah, Bo-Katan reacts, it's pretty much uh, says, hey, it's a Jedi, um, and, and real, uh, Mando... We'll have a couple of stages, that's what, that, that's what right. I love. I love that the reveal happens in a couple of stages. And I jokingly said earlier, right before we started the show, and I, I, I pity the fools. No, I don't pity. You're not fools, podcast fans. But I pity you because the folks who watch this on video will see me clap like the penguin in the, 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 the Bugs Bunny cartoon who, who claimed who, – who, who was actually from Hoboken because – you know, like like the little um, the, the wind up monkey with the with the symbols, like literally clapping like an idiot watching this when it first came on the TV screen. Right. So so while this uh, hooded figure is fighting and 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 Bo-Katan says that Bo-Katan was not only the one who reacts and neither was the Mandalorian because you know you see other shots of you see Got Moff getting also react to this at, at some yes. point. And it was just like oh snap because and and like uh, like Agent Seventy said like um. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito's uh, reactions are, are pretty priceless because it was like, yes. uh, you know, because he's like, oh, snap. And, but you no, also see, um, go ahead. Even worse than that. And I'm going to I'm going to go a little blue here, folks. And, 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 and forgive me for this. Uh, we try to keep this mostly family friendly. I know. But Moff Gideon's. Oh, shit. A Jedi. Right. Face. Like Roddy Cat said, it was priceless. You could just like pause it right there and the look <laughs> on his face because somebody said a Jedi and he puts two and two together right. because he knows what he has in Grogu to an extent. Right. So he knows why this would be something that a Jedi would be after. Right. And reasonably assumed that as intelligent as Moff, you know, Moff Gideon is would know of the Jedi, even if he has not had, you know, even whether he's seen them or not, he knows, you know, he knows of them, which he had. Well, no, it's arguable. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's arguable that he probably has. We don't know actually whether he has or not. I was thinking of something else, but not nah, he would. He probably wouldn't have been around for that or, you know, whatever. But regardless. It depends on his age. That's the one thing that is indeterminate at this point. We don't know for sure, sure. Given how old, given how old Vader was, you know, at the end of Jedi, and given Moff Gideon's kind of nebulous age now, we are not sure if he was around for Order sixty six or not. Right. I, I feel like it's reasonably assumed he might have been, but right. yeah, you're right. We, we, don't, we don't know. We, we don't know. Right. So so anyway, 
Right. That being said, now I can check this off because I'm I'm literally going through my <laughs> list of notes as we go through these sequences because, you know, I trust Roddy to go through the the actual sequence. You know, like doing his Luis impression. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give like the little like the the little uh, the little notes that I jot down. Um, uh, uh, we have uh, we've gotten to the point where. Um, uh, uh, Giancarlo Stanton's Moff Gideon uh, is, is is panicking now. Right, panic. Yeah, he's kind of shook. Right, and we've seen and we've seen the green lightsaber be revealed. Right, but so then at this moment, to- right. So at this moment, pretty much anybody who's of Star Wars note, no, you know, was a Star Wars uh, fan knows who the hell this is. Right. Um, as we see him systematically just taking down the de- de- death troopers just left and right, just like bloop, 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 bloop. And it kind of cuts toward between shots of um, them on the bridge watching the, CC, the, the CCTV and, you know, live action, you know, the, the live footage of him just kind of going through using the force, using the lightsaber, just doing, you know, doing the thing, going through as, as, as only this person would uh, until he gets to the door where the last uh, death troopers already takes them out. And then because I was about to say, but you also have to, uh, uh, in in mid, in the middle of the sequence, Moff Gideon tries to pull something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that too. But also, and I think if I didn't mention this when I was going to, um, uh, in the people's reactions to this, you know, Grogu, is um, propped up at a at a monitor. Is watching this whole thing with 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 great interest, so as someone would say, you know, as if either knows who this is or you know, right. right. His ears, his face, his head perks up. Mm-hmm. The second person's presence is 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 known to him. Right. And 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 as Roddy Cat was mentioning, uh, you literally see Grogu reach out and touch the screen. Right. No, that. You know, this is someone who's responding to his call. Right. But as I was, as I was mentioning, uh, like I, I, I don't know if you have another point to make on this, but uh, Moff Gideon at least tries to make a move at this point. Well, before that, yeah, I was just going to say the real quick that uh, Mando notices Grogu. Uh, you know, his intently staring at the screen also, so he's kind of he also is you know putting things like yeah, okay, he's he's, he's putting everything together uh, about where this is going. But now we can get to that part where. Um. Um. Yeah. So right before the 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 hooded figure makes it to the bridge, or at least right before, as uh, Agent Seventy says, Moff Gideon pretty much grabs. Um. I want to say that's Cara Dune's rifle, which he had stupidly put down. And in, you sure? It blaster like uh, one of the crew members. It was a. It was a. It was a. It was an Imperial blaster dropped by one of the crew members that they had shot down when they took the bridge. Okay, but he had it. Well, that being the case, no, it's he's. Awesome. Floor, like where Cara Dune threw him. Right. You actually see it. You actually see it near the fallen body of one of the uh, Imperials. Right. So when she throws him down, you see him fall down near it. Right. But he. But uh, but also um, a, a a minute or two earlier than this, he notices down on the floor and covers it with his drape. So we know it was going. Right. We knew it was going to come back at some point, which was right. this point here. Uh, and while everybody's distracted with what's going on outside. Uh, he takes this opportunity to, to to get up, still handcuffed, mind you. Um, shoots pretty much takes bunch of pot shots at Bo Katan. Um, All right, uh, pause just for a second. I'm like, yo, does uh, Beskar actually attract laser bolts? Because it seemed like every shot he took went right, right to her armor. Right. 
And see, and that's what, and that's why, which brings me back to why I had to re, re uh, watch that scene. Cause at first I was like, well, wait, hold on. Cause just like you, I was like, wait, and, and we're not really sure we're, we can reasonably assume that all of the Mandalorians uh, that have shown up are all wearing some form of uh best car. Well, are wearing best car that's been painted with the exception right. of uh, Mando. Um, but so yeah, just like taking shots and we, you know, hear her react to it. So, uh, at the moment, um, you know, you, you don't really know what's happened, but you, you know, you can reasonably assume that if she, uh, does have best cars, like, well, she should have not necessarily shorted out. Cause you can still, it's basically like, uh, wearing what it seemed like is pretty much like wearing, um, a bulletproof vest, you know, right. like, yeah, the, the, it won't, the, the shots won't hit you, but you still feel it. So, uh, Malfkin takes the shots, a bunch of shots at, at her, and then points towards Grogu, who is uh, at this point on the ground. Uh, Mando sees this, you know, takes the takes the bullets um, for him, and then uh, Cara Dune takes down Malfkin with a with a with a rifle butt, like bloop. actually two because they did they do two shots of it. <laughs> so they right. shoot her, and you see so- two camera angles of the of her taking him down. Right, because uh, he tries to blow his brains out um, right. once he figures that the jig was up. So he puts the blaster uh, underneath his chin, but Cara Dune knocks him senseless mm-hmm. and disarms him in the process. So that, that takes out that particular threat. So at that point, Moff Gideon is taken out. And I think at this point, um, uh, Grogu makes his way to the chair to go mm-hmm. up to the monitor. Right, he makes his way back up to the to, to the chair to get back to the monitor. Look into that. And Mando crawl. Mando drags his sorry carcass um, from the from from getting shot up by Moff Gideon up to where Grogu is watching on this on the closed circuit TV. Right, and at this and it was at this point where the hooded figure and um, I almost keep wanting to say his name, but I'm not because at this point, if you're listening and you know who, what, what, what where, where, and why, you already know who it is. But the hooded figure ends up uh, pretty much at the door at this moment to where everybody. I was about to say no. He's laying waste. He does a John Wick, but he also does a hallway scene. Very much Kinda. like Jerry Devil on Netflix, but also very much like a certain Sith Lord at the end of Rogue One. Yeah, and yeah, there's been note of that also. Yeah, right. that the people have mentioned. Um, right. Literally laying waste, we're laying waste to a horde of dark troopers when only one of them gave uh, Mando fits. Right. So, which was which was also funny to see because it was like, yeah, and every, and everybody in you know all of the the party that was coming, the, the rescue party coming out seeing this, it was like, like we said, you know, Bo-Katan is pretty much the only ones who had the first hand experience, and everybody was like, oh shit, like we've heard about these, may have heard about these people in some kind of way, shape, or form, but we've never seen it in action, and and I'm sure Mando was like, it took, I, I feel like he probably did would have said it was like, uh, wow, it took me, <laughs> it took me a while just to take down one, and he just. This dude's just going through, uh, and having never seen a Jedi alone, you know, up until he met um, Ahsoka, you know, right? Obviously, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't have known too much about them because he even talks about them like a race of people um, before then. But regardless, so all that aside, just to kind of to get to the get to the to the point here. Um, Hooded figure makes it to the door after taking out uh, the rest of the Death Trooper, including the last one where he just pretty much crushes with the Force, which right. was which was a funny thing to see, but it was good, c- cool. 
Um, everybody on the other side of the door is still kind of in awe. Uh, Mando's kind of looking at Grogu's, you know, seeing him at the door. And he was like, open up, open up the door. And everybody, and, uh, and then Finnick was like, are you crazy? Yeah, Grogu basically uh, motions to the door. Right. Right. He's basically like, you know, he like kind of, like, I let think him in, the, let him in. the closed yeah. caption, right. I think the closed caption said whines, you know, like basically like oh, Grogu's whining, you know, saying like, ple- you know, like, you know, like, eh, take care of that. Open it. You know, Yeah, it's like, hey, let him in. Let my, let my man's in. <laughs> so so Mando kind of picks up on this and was like was like let him in and 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 Finnick and other people was like are you crazy <laughs> like Finnick oh, sure. actually really does say like are you crazy you know no surprise that Fennec Shand of all of these people is saying that right like what nuts you know right like yeah we don't know who that person is like we just saw what this this fool did like and you want to let him in. You know, all all but pretty much saying that. So Mando himself to kind of takes care of the door, which I'm kind of surprised opened up the way it was bent. But mm-hmm. that's well, that's, it only opened up partially. It didn't open up all the way. Right, but and still, I, yeah, was, it was like that, that door was, was the in the shape. Session the damage, right? I think. Right. So um, door opens up. A hooded figure goes comes in, and uh, this is where we get the big reveal when he takes off. Um, his helmet. We see a glo- oh, one gloved hand after hold on, after hold sheaving. On, hold on, I have a I have a sound effect for this. <laughs> he sheaves his lightsaber, uh, lifts off the helmet, um, uh, he- off the hood to see one return to the Jedi era, Luke Skywalker. And we have to say that because it's been it's, they do this the whole de-aged um, you know digital effect. Which kind of still looks weird, but yeah, right. Like PCN underscore Dirt mentioned the uncanny valley effect, yeah. And I, I, I sort of understood it, but at the time, I think I was smiling too hard mm-hmm. and laughing too hard, um, and I just didn't. It, it didn't hit me. I was just soaking in the moment, and I think that's really what the, uh, Favreau and Filoni are going for, right. and Peyton Reed going for you're just soaking in the moment right you know, but yeah i was i was kind of with dirt on that because it was like wow this is a weird looking like i get it but it was also a weird looking weird looking yeah. and having seen other uh, instances of this with uh leah and my uh, tarkin and other folks that this has happened to in in recent uh star wars you know right 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 i definitely understand it especially after the second third fourth fifth or sixth or seventh viewing that i did uh <laughs> I understood it, but I, 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 I'm more than willing to let that slide because in the moment, oh, totally. second watch, first or second viewings, I was kind of like just so just just happy, just happy. Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean, I was going to save this for my overall thoughts, but I, I think it really drives the point home that this is what I always wanted to watch after Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Not the skills we got set so far in the future. It was this time period immediately following Return of the Jedi that I always wanted to see played out on screen. Mm. I, I, didn't in the watch, I didn't want to read a book. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to read a comic. Obviously, I was a little too young at that point to really appreciate that, um, that the comics did exist mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in a very long format, actually, by that point. Yeah. But uh, they, they had put out several by that point. By the time Jedi came out, all I had were the, the the Marvel Comics adaptations of Jedi. So what I really wanted was 
um, uh, stories going forward from uh, Return of the Jedi on screen, and I never got it. So it's this that you know that that really fulfilled that particular wish for me, and I'm sure it did that for so many people watching this. Yeah. Um, we on and then maybe even touch on that fact, touch on that thought again later. Yeah, I'm. I, I will probably forget this fact later on, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Is uh, you know the the Star Wars universe is a big and a, a big uh, a big universe, and you know there are as many stories that can and and have recently been told, and and probably will continue to be told. And I kind of enjoy that and not having it centered around the Jedi, even though I do. Don't worry, I love me some Jedi Sith stuff and all, and you know the the major players and all that and all that kind of stuff. But you know the Mandal- the good thing about the Mandalorians is it's like yeah, it's kind of been sort of away from that kind of stuff to a certain point up until we got to, you know, this, this last half of the season here. Sure. But regardless, um, yeah. it's always it's a great good to see. universe and we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks about the size of Mickey Rooney. Oh, that's from hey, and <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, so just to, to bring this home on the, the recap, uh, you know, Luke comes in and doesn't even introduce himself. He breaks people by like, Huh? I know there's a point I wanted to make about this too. Okay. So go. Yeah. So Luke just comes in and just all matter of fact was like, um, uh, like, Hey, Grogu, come on with me. And, but, um, also the, you know, Mando's like, are you a Jedi? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like I am, which apparently was, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if they, cause Mark Hamill obviously gets credited, you know, one way or shape or form. Uh, with this, and actually, I've meant to pull an article about his response to it, uh, to to this episode, which is what actually got me got spoiled because apparently news sites don't know how to obfuscate things of that nature um, properly. Yeah, which is so stupid. But regardless, um, so I don't know if it was sound clips or actually him. I, I mean, I doubt if it was actually him now doing that, and it probably just looks like um. You know, it, it, it sounded like they used sound clips, but I don't necessarily know. Regardless, the credit was him one way or another because it's his likeness, regardless. So he calls out the, to, to uh, Grogu and Mando, like I said, um, you know, you know, Mando asks him if he's Jedi and he does. Um, uh, Grogu's like, uh, I want to go. Well, because you, you can see uh, Grogu kind of peeking out from the chair and Mando takes it like, well, he doesn't want to go with you. And Luke's like, no, he's just waiting for your permission. Um, uh, to which, uh, you know, Mando picks up uh, Grogu in, in, a, in a actually kind of a touching scene. Uh, oh, it's definitely touching. I was about to say, you know, like there's definitely fans of this relationship mm-hmm. who when they see literally the parting of father and the father and son. <laughs> Lone Mando you know? and child. Yeah. You know, like after two seasons worth of storytelling, when they see this point where there is a legitimate goodbye going on that's not induced by a kidnapping, right? Uh, it's it's definitely uh, tugging at uh, heartstrings here and, and waterworks potentially flowing. Right. It and didn't because I was still clapping like an idiot. But and this was uh, right. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, but I know that there are definitely parts of the fandom out there that felt that way and were probably bawling their eyes out. Forget people chopping onions; they were well past that point. Yeah, 
Like it was definitely touching. And I, and I will say uh, again, you know, shout out to, to Pedro Pascal for his uh, portrayal of this, which uh, going into what we're going to talk about uh, right after this, um, or yeah, I guess we can go ahead and get, but we might want to keep that brief because of time. But, um, you know, going into what we're going to talk about him also being in here, like shout out to him for, for some, for some range, because, you know, he has done a lot with, I won't say a lot with a little with his character, but you know, cause he's, you know, in this one, in this, uh, he's like kind of stoic and supposed to be like, you know, um, kind of matter of fact and just about business. Like, not, not necessarily like ruthless or anything like that, but he's just like, you know, I'm just going about my way, doing my thing. But you can also right. see, you know, even without him taking his helmet enough, you could kind of tell that, uh, and it was him in the suit for the majority of the time also. So you could, he's done a lot of acting without actually saying anything, you know, right. with his movements and, and his, without, uh, and without being able to see his face. Right. That's, exactly. That's the thing. That's the important part. Exactly. Um, Up until which, it, and which comes to this moment here, because this was the moment that probably should have been waited until that should have not happened in the last episode, but that's, you know, the, the less we said about that, the, the, the better. So him and Grogu, Grogu is going to, ha- is having this moment. Uh, Grogu kind of touches his helmet because he still has on his, his hand. Someone like, yeah, hey, I want to touch your face. But then he, uh, Mando's like, all right, he takes off his helmet and, um, you know, and uh, Grogu actually touches his face, which again, another touching moment. And they have a, another little bonding moment before. Um, Not eye in the house including mando <laughs> yeah exactly because you can see him kind of right you can see him kind of wanting to well up you know you know now up until you know uh the when luke and, and grogu actually leaves uh in in the in the, the minutes coming up so but you could kind of just see it in his face it's like oh it's like you knew that he knew this moment moment was coming but he still kind of right. hated for it we've all been there at some point um puts uh Grogu down, who kind of attaches to his leg just a little bit until um, another familiar um, Star Wars uh, character just so happens to come bopping in um, uh, in the form of... So, uh, well, (laughs) yes, booping in. (laughs) In the form of one R2-D2, which, again, like like I was saying earlier, like, if you probably had noticed anything about the X-Wing, and if it was even noticeable, you probably would have seen would have, would have seen him, you know, in the astromech uh, part of the X-Wing. But, you know, like I said, that shot kind of went back on the fast, and unless you stopped it, like uh, Agent 7 said, probably wouldn't know. But regardless, R2 comes in, um, baby, you know, Grogu kind of turns around and I'm like, oh, what is this? Which some, I'm, I've noticed there have been an article or two, well, I think there's an article we'll get to uh, in the news section saying that there is a little bit more of a link here than we possibly know of, but it's also a theory that I kind of feel like is slightly a stretch. But, like I so said, we'll get to that in a, in a moment. Um, but R2 comes in um Huh? I said there's a couple things that people are thinking about with regard to that, but go on. Right. Um, and my part, my for my part is I'm thinking uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back. So, you know that that's where I am with that. But like I said, we'll we'll get to that in a moment. So Grogu turned around, sees R two, and there's an interaction between you can you know there's a kind of an interaction between R two 
and um and and Grogu, which I can see one way about it, but also like I said, the way I see it, you know, R two's just you know, just beeping, booping, and, and and you know doing this thing, um, uh, and Goku's like, ooh, ah, you know, um, another way of looking at it, which is the way I actually looked at it, which mm-hmm. is the sense of recognition, right. So that's a that's the other that's the other that's the other uh, train of thought that I think a lot of people had is oh there's a connection there that might be explored further on we don't know right well see you so I, well I'll go ahead and say it now so um so my part about it is like I'm kind of with you on the recognition part but as far as Arc is concerned it was like obviously we know that in in, in Empire Strikes Back he runs into well let me rephrase that not even just then just pretty much throughout the 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 most of um. Um, like the the sequels and whatnot, R two knows about uh, Grogu's kind Yoda, so he's, right. he's pretty much been around Yoda and interacting with Yoda, so he recognizes Grogu the for species. you know for for the species right. he is species. right. Um, and that and those were at that moment I was like, oh no, because <laughs> because obviously if you if you're just taking it from Empire Strikes Back, you you know. Um, Yoda pretty much terrorized uh, R2 on Dagobah. What I was going to say is, what do you think he's going to do? Try to take away his torch? Exactly. But but yeah, like the way I read it, and maybe I'm reading too far into into it, but I definitely am of the mind that there's probably some more recognition there than even that. Right. Well, so... it might it might go back to Grogu's origins. Well, so, so I'll go ahead and get yeah. to that right now because yes, the 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 article has pretty much has a theory to where R two may or may not have had something to do with uh, Grogu escaping the Jedi Temple during Order sixty six, which again is kind n- of a stretch, but it's not impossible given right. the time frame. That's what I'm saying. It's not, but it feels like kind of a stretch uh, in a way. But yeah, like I said, it, it's definitely not impossible. So it's not. Because you wonder, where is he during that time? Right. You and know? we do know he was at the temple and we do know R2 was around. So it's not like it's not outside of the realm of possibility that it could have, you know, come across each other during during that time. But I thought don't. that was a great touch to have Grogu cling to Mando's leg. Like, yeah, I don't really want to go. Right. Un- until he sees R2 and then it's like, oh, ooh, shiny. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is, oh, he's rolling with R2, who I recognize. Right. You yeah, know? but again, we don't, like I said, we don't know if that is the case. Yeah, we don't know that for sure. So, um, Because as we know, but but with the thing we do know about uh, Grogu is like he likes the shiny things. Like every time, you know, um, uh, he takes the, the, the stick from, from the wheel. Of the of the Razor Crest, or that he took it, which actually I actually halfway expected that to happen, actually, because I felt like, yeah, the, the little ball, ball the little uh, the the little gear shift uh, uh ball, I half expected Mando to give Grogu that as a as a as a was like here you go, kid, here's that because he did take it from the wreckage of the Razor Crest, so we saw that, right. um, uh, a couple of episodes back. Regardless, um, so we can go ahead and get season. Where he's gonna be like looking wistfully at it, you know, that's like his one keepsake. But yeah, and also he, Mendo did say, like, I'll see you again, uh, kid, I promise, you know, mm-hmm. before he puts him down the ground and, you know, that, that whole interaction with uh, R2 happens. So after this, uh, just to kind of bring this on home, um, 
Grogu kind of wrote, uh, you know, bops over to to uh, Luke and is like, pick me, pick me up, pick me up, you know, um, which he does, and they just walk out. Uh, you see right. the slow walk. They, the- they do a little bit of force thought sensing. Right. Right well, yeah, because it's been established that Grogu, Grogu can talk. Grogu can talk through the for, through the Force, and obviously Luke, being you know powerful in the Force, would be able to pick up on this. So right. yeah, so they're definitely they definitely do have an, a little bit of an exchange before uh, they walk out. You know, they have that kind of little thought exchange before uh, Luke uh, wishes, um, you know, may the Force be with you on everyone, mm-hmm. and turns to leave. Right. So you know. So Luke, uh, and obviously music swells, and you know it's a touching moment because, and you can see Mando just just kind of looking, uh, like oh, like I don't want him to go, but looking, looking like you can, you know, you can kind of see him kind of well up, and uh, and that's where it's definitely ends up being a touching moment as you see uh, Luke and uh, Luke Grogu and R two head back towards the elevator uh, and leave, uh, right. In, in the final shot we see of that is uh is uh the elevator door closes as uh as uh Grogu and Mando looks at each other. Right. So there's a couple right, there's a couple of uh scenes there that um that 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 capture what the rest of the characters look like and what they're doing. You get to see, you know, the the other Mandalorians in the you know, like um uh spaced out and Fennec Shan spaced out on the bridge, mm-hmm. just kind of looking you know they're they're all they're all holding their weapons down now. Right. You know they're not holding the weapons up; they're holding the weapons down, and they're just watching this whole transaction, this whole interaction take place. Mm-hmm. And the one person that they actually zoom in on, other than Mando, right? They don't zoom in on Fennec Shand. They don't right. zoom in on Bo-Katan or um, or Costco Reeves. They zoom in on Cara Dune, mm-hmm. right? Cara Dune kind of has this like smiling smirk on her face and i noticed this and i'm glad that you mentioned that luke doesn't even introduce himself he doesn't say i'm luke skywalker right but it seems Cara dune knows who he is since she is obviously a former rebel trooper mm-hmm. to me it makes sense that she would know the face of or at least the likeness of one of the main heroes of the rebellion right like it would plastered on screens or posters all over the place so you would think that she of this group would recognize general skywalker right but we can you know out of that but if, yeah right and i wonder if that's going to come up in the next season be like oh that was luke sky you know she's going to come out and say that was luke skywalker yeah probably not <laughs> I, I feel like they're, 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 they're like no, they're just gonna let that sit to the way it is. Maybe Will and I could very well be wrong, but who who even knows at this point? Right. Um, but that's at this point from yeah, my end, exactly on, uh, on what's going to happen in uh, the next season. However, what we do know what's going to happen uh, comes in the form of because that is pretty much the end of the episode, with the exception of a post credit scene um, right. <laughs> that we end up getting. Uh, having to do with n- not the Moff Gideon stuff, not the Bo-Katan stuff, which, by the way, I had to go back. This is the reason why I had to go back and watch that the scene, uh, the couple of scenes prior to this, because when Bo- uh, Moff Gideon takes pot shots at uh, Bo-Katan, I, it, when I was immediately watching the first time, I was like, we don't see her again. So I was like, well, is she dead? No one just, no one, you know, does anything to kind of... Um, 
no one does anything to see about her or see if you know if she's all right or whether the best car saved her. But on second viewing, I actually paid a little more clerk, more attention, attention, standing. and you see her standing there with everybody else at the you know when um when Luke comes in and whatnot because you kind of see her even hobbling, you know, kind of getting herself together. Uh, in the background as like Mando and Grogu is looking at a, looking at the screen. So, right. you know, so that part was what it is, but you still don't really get, you know, get to the part where it was like, okay, well, so this whole dark saber Moff Gideon stuff gets taken care of or anything, which I guess is going to lead into next season. Like, like I, I seven said earlier. Absolutely. But I think post- that's, well, I was about to say, talk about the post credit. Then we'll right. talk about what's next for, uh, you know, like president Bartlett would ask what's next for the show. Right. So post credit scene, we, Go back to a familiar um, palace on Tatooine, uh, formerly resided by uh, one Jabba the Hutt. Um, and we see somewhat of a similar scene to one to to, to one that was in Return of the Beginning of Return of the Jedi, when except for the fact that Bib Fortuna, uh, uh, Jabba's former right hand, is the one um, kind of. <laughs> presiding over things looking a little bit thicker you know he's gained a little bit of weight you know and is in the the however long it's been since uh since return of the jedi it's an effect of being in the the the, the chair of power in the hut palace exactly so he's sitting there and you see um you know they cut to the door where you see here blaster shots and you see you know again like in return of the jedi fa- fashion uh, a figure comes tumbling down the stairs after being shot and a couple of other people get shot, and then you start seeing you see the shadow of a figure who we've seen earlier in the issue uh, in this episode, and that was of one Phoenix Shan. But then after that, we see uh, another figure comes, a uh, shadowy figure comes in in the form of Boba Fett, who <laughs> who pretty much. <laughs> And I'm sitting here like, oh, wait, I know what this is about. Because <laughs> obviously, if you've seen you know, Return of the Jedi, which at first I was like, well, we'll get to that in a second. So um, Bib Fortuna's like, Boba, hey, I heard rumors about what happened to you. Now, if, uh, again, if you know about what happened in, uh, in the midst of uh, uh, at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, you know, Boba got knocked into the Sarlacc pit, never to be seen again up until, well, you know, now or the the, the novel that, you know. Uh, uh, the EU novel that he may or may not have escaped from that could possibly be canon. We still don't know how he escaped. Um, but, you know, maybe we'll get that next season in what this is setting up. So, you know, Bib pretty much tried to says, hey, I heard, you know, heard rumors about you and this and that. Boba shoots him, knocks him off the chair. And then he and uh, Fennec kind of take the seat. Well, he takes the seat and, and Fennec's like just grabs a grabs a beer sits beside him and just, uh, you know, smiles, um, setting up, um, a new show that is coming up next year called the book of Boba. Um, with, and they even get like the, you know, the title of it at the, at the end of this thing. Cause basically just cuts the black screen and says coming December, 2021, the book of Boba. The, oh no, no, no. It's not the book of Boba. It's the book of Boba Fett. We're not talking about well, yeah. bubble. So <laughs> it's the book of Boba Fett. Sure. Folks. <laughs> but regardless, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. But you, you get me though. So, and that's when, you know, the rest of the credit comes out and scene, um, for the Mandalorian season two. 
Right. Um, so just real quick on the post credit scene, it's great to see Fennec Shand become part of the Book of Boba Fett show. Mm-hmm. As we come that to find out. Right. This character has quickly become um, uh, 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 an important part of um, this this generation of Star Wars stories. And, you know, good for Ming-Na Wen. Yes, exactly. Always great to see her kicking ass wherever she goes. Um, And uh, look at that. Bib Fortuna comes back just to get killed. Gotta love it. Right. So which brings me to this part about that, because um, and I, if you see my virtual background behind me, it is but Jabba's palace. So, you know, that's that's one thing. But anyway, um, um, obviously, due to the events of Return of the Jedi, I, I had myself thinking like, well, wait, it wasn't. It wasn't Jabba's fault or Bibbs uh, Bib Fortuna's fault about what happened to Jabba at the time. I mean, what happened to Boba Fett at the time? Because realistically, he just got knocked in by a, a, a lucky swoop by um, by um, uh, uh, Han, who was blind at the time. So it wasn't really his fault. But at the same time, I get it because it's like, well, y'all, no one, no one tried to save me. No one tried to, you know, put a rope, give, give, you know, send a rope no down to, to help me out or something like that. You know, exactly. Kill the Sarlacc so I could get out. You know, right. So I was like, damn, you didn't even. No one even cares. So. I, I kind of get, you know, but also it was like, so, so clearly this is setting up that, okay, Bev, Boba Fett's got, uh, just taking over the, uh, Jabba's old spot. Um, and which is going to go into, and I guess in a long, uh, in a lengthy kind of arc stemming from Clone Wars also, cause we see little Boba kind of trying to make his way through the Clone Wars and trying to, you know, figure out his place in the world and getting to where we know he is. And even even after that, I right. still wasn't expecting it to come to come to this, but I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with this. That being said, you know, like what is he going to get into now that he's got, now that he's got this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a, 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 for a year from now. <laughs> right. So I guess, uh, thoughts on the, the, um, well, this episode and the season in general. Right. So, I mean, as I said, you know, on this episode uh, and essentially on the season, I've already stated my thoughts. I, I, you know, no need to restate the whole thing. But right. in some, this is what I always wanted to watch after Return of the Jedi. <laughs> this is what I always wanted. You know, this like really, you know, it didn't have to be right after, but it had to be in that, you know, in that time period hmm. where I wanted a follow up on Luke Skywalker's story, sure. you know. And I know that people say, you know, people will say it's in the novels. Read the novels. No, I want to see it on screen. Well, you know? I mean, I don't know if there's any. Well, there might be current novels that 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 might be the case. But like a lot of the old EU novels are not really canon anymore. So yeah, they're good reads, but they're not necessarily but about, canon. But I'm talking about you know, like as we grew up and matured from the age we were when Jedi came out. Sure. Right. In order to in order to locate. Um, what was then canon um, stories that 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 follow in the in the footsteps of uh, Return of the Jedi? You essentially are lurk, looking for the novels, and a few years later, the Dark Horse comics. Right. So you know, if you're not tracking that down, you're just kind of lost, and you know, you just know that that that's just kind of the last of where that story ended. Uh, so seeing this now really does, and and this is the reaction I heard. 
you know, uh, on podcasts, on 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 social media. Mm-hmm. You know, shout out to, the, to 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 my fellow binge motors. Um, a lot Drink. of the a lot of the people in binge mode had the same reaction that I did, which is this is what I always wanted, and I'm so happy to see it and to get it. Right. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just to, just to quickly, yeah. Um, season was good. Like I said, just like I kind of said earlier, uh, this potential this episode felt like it kind of took a turn from where we were to where they got to at the end of it especially you know because it was it's just like you know you see the x-wing it's like okay hold on we're gonna stop here and just take care of the rest of this and then take care of the whole baby you know grogu thing and which also lends itself saying like okay well what's uh what's uh and I think there's been an article saying this, like what's season three of the Mandalorian going to be like now that this is not the way it is anymore. Right, right, right. There isn't that central relationship at its core. And I think that's going to be tough for some of the fans that relied on that. Right. But at the same time, we didn't, we, you know, I, much like Roddy Cat mentioned, uh, Mando does say, I'll see you again. So I don't think it's the end of baby Grogu's rela- uh, relationship with Mando. It's not his last appearance on this show, but I think where this is going is trying to retake Mandalore. Exactly. Trying to establish Mandalore. Um, and what I think really does need to happen, even though this season was very heavy upon um, introducing uh, sub character uh, uh, subplots and characters that are direct takes from um, the uh, the canon animated series now mm-hmm. you know namely bo katan and um, and ahsoka the last person we need to um, uh, to to pull or the next person we need to pull not the last but the next person we need to pull from uh, rebels era at the very least is sabine wren because obviously this has you know this this weaves integrally into the Mandalorian and the Mandalore story. So right. and there was rumors saying that she could possibly have shown up this this particular season. Uh rumor rumor wise anyway. Okay. I right. mean you know, but speaking speaking to speaking to, you know, this character appearing in this show, I honestly I, I, I think I would I would raise all sorts of Twitter hell. I don't know what other hell I could I could raise if they don't uh, cast Tia Sirkar. I was going to say the exact same thing. Exactly. Because she is still, you know, she, she seems young, but she's still roughly the right age. Well, and then you there know, will be makeup and the wig and whatever they else they do to her. But yeah, right. totally. And the, even the skin tone, they, mm-hmm. they always depict... Uh, 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 Sabine is having a darker skin tone, so they there's no need to recast. They right. should just put Tia Sirkar into like uh, uh, you know she's fit, but she could probably use some some extra combat training to get into the role, or or some 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 like uh, um, uh, what you call it, some some physical training just a little bit. And I'm sure um, just would, you know, right? But just to prepare for like you know like stunt work and whatnot, right? Uh, but could definitely you know slide right into that role because it's her voice right but at the same time though this would go back to the ahsoka thing it was like well wait now you got but so you mean tell me you know not only do you have bo katan playing herself do the voice now you got uh the voice of uh, uh um you know the voice of sabine playing herself but y'all couldn't let uh ashley Eckstein do ahsoka i'm pretty sure somebody's <laughs> yes. going to say that and i would say yes 
because um, uh, to a certain extent, uh, Bo-Katan, well, obviously, Bo-Katan's not an argu- that, that that's not a fair argument because they literally based the character, you know, rendition in the cartoon on her. I mean, sure, you know? but still, but, it, but it still kind of applies, though, to a point. No, no point being, no, but my point being is they, 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 um, they, I, I think arguably also based um, the Sabine rendition on Tia Sirkar's face as well. So we don't know uh, that, but yeah, I can I would, see that also. Yeah, I would say that you know um, that um, that uh, it's a it's an argument you can make, but it's not a fair argument because at mm. the end of the day, um, if we're if we're going on looks, I think the the Rosario Dawson casting uh, was a hundred percent on point. Oh, we're um, getting a disagreement here, for, right? It does suck for Ashley Eckstein, but at the end of the day. Um, I think they they went in it, it, when they made the decision to go for uh, the complete look. I think they made the correct call. Right, That's and, my... and there were and there were other reasons which we've mentioned in past shows about why the a potential reason why they could have gone that route, um, which we don't really need to rehash here. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll find out whether any of that plays um, plays into what's going on in season three of the Mandalorian whenever that happens. Cause we still don't have a date or anything for that. We just know that book right. of Boba is coming, going to happen. It's going to be around the same time frame as this is being. Exactly. Said, so they're going to be like either consecutive or concurrent, you know, right. probably consecutive. They don't want to, they don't want to step on each other's toes, right. but um, you know, essentially what we're figuring is that the next story in season three of the Mandalorian is going to be a Mandalore story and it's going to continue Bo-Katan's story mm-hmm. because she does say to um, to Mando that once his quest is over to, to, to regain custody of the child and to make sure the child gets to its kind, mm-hmm. which essentially has happened. He's actually completed his quest. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess what's left is to, you know, join Bo-Katan, but with the added complication of Mando being right now the quote-unquote rightful possessor, wielder of the Darksaber. Right, which you know, I'm sure that will be uh, addressed at some point. Right. It has to, because I'll, I'll be real upset if they don't. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's most assuredly going to go right. in that direction. So, but like I said, as of this moment, we don't know that. And that is that. And unless you got any other parting, parting thoughts, we can kind of move on to the rest of the show because nope. we do nope. have a nope. little bit to get to. Um, What's next? So we're not going to talk about, um, this is still spoiler, by the way. Um, I will, spoiler, spoiler bell, spoiler bell. I'm going to go ahead and say that we don't necessarily have to talk a whole lot about this because it's still fresh. And uh, the still- fact that... Yeah, and the fact that, you know, I granted I'm still processing, but I feel like I have my, my, my thoughts in order about this. Uh but being that it's still fresh and this just came out, we're going to talk about uh Wonder Woman eighty four kind of briefly. Um and our thoughts on that, which just got released in theaters and on HBO Max on Christmas Day. Um so I am just going to go ahead and put this out there. It says, say that, you know how that thing with the trailers where you see most of the action in the, um, in the, in, in, in the trailer and which, you know, kind of takes away from the movie a little bit. Yeah. This kind of sort of does that, but 
I would just go ahead and give my my initial impressions of it. Like I don't the, all of the the um the dunking on it, as it were, that's been going on on social media. I don't necessarily think it's worthy of it because I'm not going to say here and say it's a perfect movie. And I'm also going to say that I watched uh, what the first Wonder Woman and is back to back. And you can tell the similarities and the differences in both in the movies, uh, you know, whether your knowledge of the first one is that good or not or whatever, but you can kind of see where there's some similarities uh, to kind of take place between the both. Um, but that said, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a, it's a, it's pretty lengthy. It's probably longer than it needs to be. And there are some, there's probably some things I can nitpick about it and, and probably will in the next couple of minutes. But right. overall, it's not a terrible movie. You know, there are some choices that was made in right. it. Yeah, that's Roddy Cat's somewhat generous review of Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, now we get the Agent Underscore 70s slightly more biting interview uh, 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 review of uh, Wonder Woman 84. So in my most generous take on this, I thought it was an uneven and overly long movie. So we're in agreement on that. Mm. It's kind of got a <laughs> script and story, though. And I just did not appreciate where a lot of the 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 story points went i did appreciate a lot of the 1984 specific period references and 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 plot points but i just did not did not enjoy my time watching this movie i i I definitely told roddy cat that i struggled my way through this maybe it's the result of having a remote control in my hand i literally pressed pause or turned it off a couple of times because i was struggling to finish watching it. Um, and I, and I hate to say this, I know lots of people, you know, obviously this is just anecdotal. I know lots of people, both, uh, binge mode and personal friends, you know, that, that relayed this to me. So I'm not the only one. So this definitely is, um, uh, 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 an an opinion that's not just held by a, a distinct minority of fans. Yeah, but also a, a lot of it, and I'm not saying in your case, because like I said, you, you have uh, anecdotal evidence of this, and I, you know, and I could point to, to you know, anecdotal evidence online of people liking it also. But also, oh, cool. but also like, you know, the first one Woman, one Woman, you know, people had their issues with it also, and also pretty much had issues because of X, Y, and Z stupidity. This one, I, I still think that this one kind of has some of that on top of it because those people are going to be those people. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say that some of the criticisms that have been levied towards the movie is not unwarranted. Like, right. Like like right. we so just said, it was it was a little like it was a little long, the plot was a little thin. There there were some there were some choices made here and there. Um, but also, you know, you can kinda say some of that about other comic book movies in the in the past. Um Right. But you know, I I I I, I was pretty disappointed in watching this movie. Hmm. Um and I appreciated the first movie. You know, all the weaknesses and all in the awful third act. Um, other, you know, like I really appreciated the first movie for what it was able to accomplish. Um, with regards to this movie, the, the opening sequence that was leaked online, you know, for everyone to watch, um, the, uh, my understanding is that it was the, uh, the Amazonian Ninja Warrior sequence, which you've seen in trailers. So I've been seeing bits of in trailers. 
Right. I think the only thing that bothered me was everyone's attempt at trying to mimic Gal Gadot's accent. It just bugged me. Like, I don't know what it was about hmm. the, you know, about uh, Robin Wright and some of the other actresses. Mm -hmm. It just, it just bothered me again. I don't know what it was. Like, it bothered me a little bit in the first movie, but more so in this one. I don't know if they were trying to refine it. Um, I really didn't pay attention to that until much later on in this movie. It, uh, it started to me. Right. It started from really early. Right. Um, and there was a particular point where I think we will get to, because I forgot to ask you if you've actually seen it, which I'm pretty sure you had. But yeah, we'll get to that uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a minute. So, um, you know, I'm just going bro very broad strokes here, not going like uh, not doing like a synopsis, because like I said, like like we like uh, we mentioned earlier, we're not trying to, to spoil it so yeah. so so heavily because the movie's still so fresh and people still may not have made time to watch it, even though they literally had a holiday weekend and a holiday day off and a holiday to do it. Yeah. Uh, people got other things doing. So, but anyway, exactly, exactly. You know, not all of us were taking the risk to go see family members outside of our homes, right? Right. Exactly. Uh, so. Um, I honestly enjoyed the, my honest my 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 favorite part of the movie was the uh, mid credit scene. Um, That's what that, I was about to get to. Yes, that made me sit up and clap like a, like an idiot. The the same way I clapped for Luke Skywalker and R two at the end of the Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. um, I also had forgotten uh, in this movie that there was a certain aspect of wonder woman's power set that wasn't really explored in the first movie and became a major plot point in this movie mm. and it emphasized that um one of the characters and it's not really a spoiler to say that steve trevor does make uh, an appearance in this movie somehow right i'm not gonna spoil how but he does make an appearance somehow Which and it's also as a weird of his intervention right that causes this this power that I guess had been significantly missing in the first movie to really be developed in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I you know in in reading some of the the post uh kind of the um the post fight analysis of this movie, um, I noticed that Patty Jenkins says that the goal of uh Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord arc was to examine his version of the American dream. So uh, that's something to go to kind of, yeah. if you haven't watched it yet, keep, you know, keep that in mind. But if you have watched it, maybe you'll go back. If you've got a big cup of coffee or a big cup of tea and you can make it through, you just watch it with oh, a it. little <laughs> understanding. Um, but also, but that part though, going on that part though, like, yeah, they kind of put that out there kind of front and center with that, with him. Like if, I don't know what the age would have to be to where you would not understand what they were going for with that, but I know oh. there there is that. Right, but you know, there's really more, but it's really more front and center when you go through, when when uh, when, when you see that at the end. Right? Mm -hmm. When you don't necessarily realize that he's coming from um, at least in this story, an immigrant background. So um Another goal that Patty Jenkins has stated uh, in, in interviews in the post-fight analysis that uh, she kind of wanted to have a subversion of the superhero movie at the end or at least throughout where where, you know, and this is again, we've already rang the spoiler bell. Nobody dies. 
the hero wins in the end with a conversation and you have to find the hero within. Um, yeah, that's, fine, but the movie needs to be better to actually, you know, um, uh, keep people to, to allow people to appreciate that where, you know, I think a couple of, 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 of edits and maybe, um, some better choreographed or better pulled off fight scenes. There's a couple of instances where it seemed like characters were floating when they shouldn't have been. Um, there was that whole ropes, the whole rope thing. You know what I'm talking about in the one fight where it was like, are they doing like Cirque du Soleil or what's going on yeah. here? Yeah. 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 It's like, wait, is she Spidey this time? What's right. going on here? Right. I'll, wait, this is Spidey in infinity war, right? Where she's where, where Spidey's just like, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot your name. I'm sorry. I forgot that. That's earned. You know why that's earned is because we know what's happening, you know? Um, mm. Uh, and we know why he has to do he has to he has to uh, make those uh, th- those types of moves, um, you know, kind of like what Roddy Cap mentioned, at least in my opinion, the action set pieces just felt a little off, just off. I don't know why they did that for me. Uh, I don't know how you felt about them. I mean, the action was the action was what it was like. They pretty much give you like, here, here's what, here's the stuff that people liked about the first, uh, first movie, like the action sequences in the first movie. We're just going to give a little bit modern take of that, which, you know, superhero movies or even DC movies, uh, of late hadn't, you know, pretty much have been doing. It's like, Oh, you like this kind of stuff. So here we go. We'll, we'll, you know, with a little bit more of that in there. So that being said, you know, the action scenes, they were, you know they were pretty much paces as they had been in you know like when you've seen her with the exception of that last part of the uh, you know the the well uh, uh, a part that we just kind of briefly mentioned we won't go into um uh they tried to extend the fight scenes a little bit more to with some stuff that seem kind of weird and out of place, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe not be because who knows? I don't know what they're doing in the recent comics. I know Maxwell Lord is a part of it, but that's a whole nother situation. Um, I would ask, what do you think are the strong, what, what, what do you think is the strongest part or parts of the movie? As much as I hate to say it, um, the stuff that was seen in the trailers, that's the action pieces. And that mm-hmm. and that one part where the you know you see and this is from this trailer so you, you know the where um there's kind of the uh, reversal some would say uh, from what from the first movie where Steve Trevor's pretty much trying to get uh, Diana outfitted you know to get her to blend in and right. Diana's doing the same thing to Steve in this one but it's just a little bit more lengthy. Uh, sure. was some, would I will say here there were some weird cuts in that in, the, in that scene that. I don't know who was doing the editing right there. Probably, I don't know. That was some some weird choices to, to make cuts how or, or the cuts they made on that one. Um, mm-hmm. And there was also, you know, it was also kind of touching the the about the one part where the resolution of the the, the Steve Trevor thing um, right. was also good, but also, you know, yeah, right. You know what's touching? We are we agree. In in, in, in in a broad sense, because I said that the strongest parts of the movie were when Gal Gadot and Chris Pine were together on screen mm-hmm. and they were interacting with each other. And that's exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. So so we have those those instances where they're interacting with each other. But then the rest of the movie just it doesn't fall flat. In my opinion, it just falls. Mm-hmm. So that's where I had a lot of problems with where a lot of the movie went. Um, the one issue I had with, 
Diana, which I think is the Captain America problem if he were not frozen in ice. Yeah. Yeah, there's some it, of that. I'll put it I'll put it I'll kind put of it a to person you that. out of time. Well, no, well, not necessarily that, but someone someone who has been around but not making as big a difference as they could have. Right. Because they were around. They weren't frozen in ice. They don't have an excuse. Mm. And I think that that's something that I, I, I kind of struggle with because this is a character who has been in the DC extended universe now for 70 years. And what does she have to show for it? Right. Other than sort of earning this kind of world weary uh, uh, sense of, you know, a uh, sense of a uh, uh, sense that um, we, we get from her. Mm-hmm. Kind of, we kind of get that, but we don't see how she earned that. Like, how how has she earned that she's a little bit more cynical now than she was when she was like kind of like a a rookie superhero in Wonder Woman the, in in the first movie? We don't get like a montage of you know I tried to do this, but it still didn't help. I tried to do this, it still didn't help. All we get is where she is in 1984, working a pretty good job and doing. You know, and stopping robberies. I'm like, this is Wonder Woman. Yeah, but she's yeah trying to keep a low profile, but still doing her hero stuff uh, at the same time. Um, yeah, and I guess on that partial, on that note, there was the whole thing because I know going back to like uh, what was it, either Batman v Supes or it's just as they wanted to, where it kind of comes up, it was like where yep. it comes it comes up, where it's like yeah where this is being said, like, yeah, she kind of kept a low profile and wasn't really trying to mess with the world. And I guess this was, this movie was supposed to go into, cause this was written by Zack Snyder also, by the way, um, um, go into talking about why she was like that. And you, I guess if you put all that together, you can kind of assume that that's what it was, but yeah, I kind of agree that it doesn't necessarily do enough to, to do that. Like we get it from one part. Yeah, to quote Uncle Roger on YouTube, so weak, so weak, because <laughs> you know you, you you give Steve you give Steve Rogers the benefit of the doubt because he was in the ice. Yeah, what do you do with Wonder Woman in this case? You but, know, but a part of it is like, yeah, I kind of get like I said after the events of the first movie, and she you know she lost the love of her life and this and that. Even though that whole thing seemed like that kind of broke out brought on rather relatively quick, even during the course of that movie. Um, you know, so she kind of like, kept a low profile because, like, yeah, she wasn't what trying to. She was disillusioned with the world. Like, this is the kind of stuff you kind of got to put together yourself, in a way. Right. In I mean, addition the, to the events of this movie, right? That's the worst part. If she retreated to Themyscira, and I'd understand, which that's, she wasn't able to because you remember the, in the first movie she's like, "That you can't come back here anymore." Right, but that's but if they had been if they had been able to reverse that, right? That's then you would understand. Right. If they had been able to reverse that, say, we take you back, um, you know, because of all this other, you know, because of all this stuff that happened to you, I would understand why she was off the radar, off the grid, essentially, in reality, for all of these years. But, right. you know, uh, I'll let that one go. Yeah. Um, I, I know that people are going to bring that up. You know, people are going to wonder why, you know, I, I, the way I posited it, the way I, I, I think about it is that she doesn't earn her world weariness. Like she's been around for 70 years. Like she doesn't earn that she's, you know, just kind of like tired of it all. Yeah. 
I just don't get it. Yeah, it's um, just kind of settled in, and I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm here now, and I'm doing the thing, and you know, um, nobody. Right. Well, I suspect, like, wait. I don't know. She probably, maybe she moved from place to place, but it seemed like she might have been in the same place the whole time. But it was like no one noticed that this one, that this one woman, you know, depending on how long she's been in this place or whatever place, like no one noticed that she hasn't aged in, you know, assuming that's ever coming. Because there's, there's reasons why that wouldn't, I guess that that would not come up though. So I'm not. So don't don't at me or anything. Like there's a reason why that wouldn't. There would there would be no reason for that to come up. Oh, but, you know, people can do math. Um, especially depending on when she establishes an identity, but right, and you that's know, the other thing. So when she not, establishes an ID, so exactly, we're not gonna we're not gonna quibble too hard with that. Yeah, no. So like I said, there's um, nitpicky things that you can kind of you can kind of get out, pick out, pick off of this, and they're I'm not all to, worth it. I'm trying to stay broad stroke without right. you know uh, without um, uh, uh, revealing too many plot points because, like we said, we're not trying to spoil everything. Well, it's really I not f- much of a plot to. to, to <laughs> God, that's a that's that. That's awful. I mean, to be fair, uh, you know, it I, is there is a there is a plot, and it's you know, it, right. it is and what it is. Plot does revolve right. Part of the plot does revolve around Diana's profession. Right. You know, she work at the Smithsonian, mm-hmm. and one of her colleagues turns out to be Barbara Minerva, played by Kristen Wiig, mm-hmm. and they kind of play her off as um, uh, what you gonna call it, like the subject of a she's all that movie, or yeah, kind of. Uh, well, she kind of gets a makeover in this movie, um, you know, in, in a sense, and and that that kind of bothered me. Yeah, um, they definitely changed Cheetah's origin. Yeah, so yeah, they they kind of made Cheetah's origin into like a she's all that type of thing. Like I can change, you know, you into the cool, you know, attractive girl, and now she wants to be, you know, she doesn't want to be picked on anymore. Hmm. So. Um, that's, you know, that's the, that's the crux of the origin without touching on all the specifics. But I, I, I honestly didn't appreciate that. And I also didn't appreciate that they kept the cheetah scenes to a dark scene at the very end. I was like, Oh really? That's what you're going to do to us now. Right. And, uh, and apparently they kind of, the, the character, well, they, they deal with it in a way that's like, okay, clearly if they were going to revisit that character in, uh, uh, during the course of this, um, like, I, I guess I kind of get it within the realm of how the plot goes and the resolution of, of the plot's going is, but it still didn't make a whole lot of sense for her, uh, right. for her character. But I suppose if they revisit it, they'll, they'll go another way with, you know, if they're, if they're going to go back with it, if they ever do go back with it, you know, right. um, and also, I think I was going to say something about the whole Dermascara, you know, uh, uh, Diana being exiled from Dermascara. If they do get a third movie, I suspect that. I feel like that's probably a thing they'll handle there. Right. I mean, I didn't I didn't watch the first movie again the way you did. Well, the way you did in preparation for watching this movie. Mm-hmm. So I did forget that plot point, And I did forget the whole other part of her power set plot point. Right forgot about all that i had to kind of read up on that like oh okay that's you know that that that's why that's there and i i sort of understand right um you know they kind of what, yeah what, and they've kind of extended that one in this well not extended but obviously comic fans and you know are animated or otherwise kind of know enough about her power set to know that some of that stuff kind of shows up in reasonable fashion i guess one right. kind of weirdly though the one oh, yeah. one's kind of weirdly 
Oh, I mean, there's definitely one weird one. Like, oh, we have an invisible jet now. How do we have an invisible well, jet now? Well, that was just that was just you know you know that was just a that's like hey here's a reference to a thing that people might know about right. you know. But pulled a Mr. Miyagi. She went like this, <laughs> and all of a sudden the jet was invisible. And the way she the way they explained it is like, well, wait, you don't know too much about that oh i mean granted you had time to study i get it but it's like how do you know when you just really found out well not just really found out when at some point at the end of the last year you at the end of the last um after the last movie sure you find out the thing that kind of made that being the case and knowing who she kind of is from that you know but yeah even that was like uh, okay i guess that's a way to that's the way to do it and to get that reference in there but at the same time i'm like hmm <laughs> What? Like she had time to study and she had time to, 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 for that to be actually the case, but it still seemed kind of weird. I was like, all right, you just wanted to get the invisible jet here and I appreciate it. I very much appreciated that part. Um, so, you know, honestly, you know, um, you know, in, in, in my rap on this, it sucks that I had to read several articles before I could figure out how some of the big themes that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot were trying to, hmm put across and how they connected to each other in the movie. Like I got the, I got the, um, whatchamacallit, the American dream thing, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily, uh, uh, pull it all together until I saw the, you know, uh, until, until the, the resolution of the movie, you right. know, where he's going through where Maxwell Lord is going through his, um, his life, you know, like basically mm-hmm. seeing his life flash before his eyes. Right. Right. And, I felt like the movie makes more, and this is something that I read and I heard and I found myself in uh, complete agreement with, which is the movie makes more emotional sense than it does logical sense or even any other sort of storytelling sense. Um, It makes the, you know, the increase, in my opinion, it makes the increasing number of negative reviews make sense because, at least in my opinion, the movie was kind of a tough watch because I had a tough time, you know, uh, having the emotional sense, you know, where I agreed, where I understood where this movie was going, uh, make, you know, like, like kind of strike some sort of balance with the crazy, thin, illogical storytelling mm-hmm. on the other side. Right. So I, I'm kind of, I differ from that because I'm like, I, I I see what she was trying to do, and she was definitely you know tapping on the the emotion button a few definitive times, or maybe a couple times slightly heavy handedly. Um, but I see what she was doing, and she was trying to make a, a different superhero. And realistically, I applaud the effort, honestly, because like it shouldn't be just like, hey, get into this fight, get into this other fight, get into this other fight. You know, villain this, villain that, kill the villain. That type of like like, like oh, that's boring too. Like we've seen enough of that. She tried to do something a little different. It didn't necessarily uh, go off a hundred percent. Well, maybe it went off a hundred percent the way she wanted it, to, or way the, the, they wanted it to. Um, and again, she, you know, she directed it. She, she, you know, she she did with what she had to, and and whatever you know um, input she had with it on the on the cinematic side. You know, the story was written by other people. That being Snyder, Zack Snyder, and uh, whoever else, so you can't really blame her for the. I would hope you can't really blame her, you know, more for the plot than the people who actually wrote the story. 
Um, and again, she probably had some input, I'm sure, but still, you can't really put all that, that all on her. Um, you know, the way it was shot and cinematically and the way, the, the way that it went, sure, you can put some of that on, most of that on her, but you, you know. Um, that being said, yeah, I, I, I generally like the movie. I'm again, I, like I said earlier, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the best movie. It's not a perfect movie. Um, you know, it's, I did not have the time Agent 70 did getting through the movie, but, you know, I, I try to put my best effort into trying to, and, and, and he did too, so I'm not saying he didn't, but, um, you know, put his, put the effort into trying to get through it at one time. And I didn't really have a problem getting through it. It was just like, yeah, there were kind of, there were times it was like, um, you know, you could have kind of cut here, cut here, you know, <laughs> there, there were, yeah. there were some stuff like, yeah, that probably didn't necessarily need it. Why? Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, the whole Maxwell Lord thing. Like, and like, granted, my my uh, whole thing with Maxwell Lord from DC. I'm, my DC knowledge is kind of lacking, but the couple of points that I know of uh, from the Max Lord part is uh, he killed the Blue Beetle, and Wonder Woman killed him, and he's basically like Obadiah Stane, and not necessarily Lex Luthor. Um, that being like, sure, he's a you know he's kind of a greedy smart ambitious uh you know businessman but he's not like a super genius and some of that i guess kind of plays out here but you don't necessarily like they spend a good bit of time no i don't understand they, they humanized them but at the end they definitely tried to they definitely did do that in the end like going into it he was like ah, here's this dude he's this and that and the other so I yep. can't I can't say really say that they tried to make him like the comic books because like I said there's the two notes that I know of pretty much the two notes that I know of, uh, and I know he's in the current run of the com- the one woman comic now so that's obviously because of the movie, um, but again shout out to Pasc- uh, Pedro Pascal because he like I said going seeing his portrayal of the Mandalorian here with two different characters mind you to going towards this where he's like all expressive and you know you know doing doing this thing like you know what he he did a part quite well I'm not sitting here saying that it's, it's Maxwell Lord because I don't know the character all that well but for him playing the character that he played who was supposed to be that character like yeah he kind of did a thing to, for the most part, Gal Gadot also did her thing, but and I don't know. But you know, she's she's been doing this a, a second. Also, there was the, the only other nitpick I would probably have, and, is, and is that I'll probably leave that uh, as the last thing, so we can kind of move on. Is that there was a couple of times, especially during the fight scene, with uh, that seemed like that wasn't even Gal Gadot, and I don't know you if mean, it was, huh? You mean obviously so. Yeah, I mean, but it was like close up for her. It wasn't like during an action scene. It was just like, hey, she, you know, she's talking to somebody, or she's like in the, you know, wherever she was at the time. It totally didn't look like it was her. Gotcha. Like I'm like, and I'm like, that seems kind of weird. Like, okay, that's her voice seeming like, and that seems like that's her, but it doesn't exactly. It looks like they. It's almost like they was like, here's the stunt person. They just let her the some some from have have some screen time in there. Uh, I did read something that said that uh, uh, Gal Gadot took in the world premiere of the movie in the hospital because she was having some back surgery because she had gotten some back and shoulder or neck injuries during the filming of 
uh, Wonder Woman's one and two and hadn't had a chance to correct it. So she waited until Wonder Woman two to correct it or after it. So um, I, I did read somewhere that uh, some of the scenes where you see her standing is because she can't sit. So um, that might be a reason for this particular scene. No, because one of the scenes was I'm not she sure. Was, yeah, one of the scenes was she was she was definitely sitting, or she was definitely supposed to be sitting. So maybe that's probably. I guess that still plays into what you just said, though. Exactly, um, that's the point. Like she can't right. sit, so they probably filmed somebody else doing that. Right. So. Gotcha, um, gotcha. But one of but but also one of them was standing, so that shouldn't that that kind of. You know, one of them was sitting, one of them was standing. So, but either way, it's it's it is what it is on that one. Um, right. So, the last thing I guess we would talk about, which we, we, we kind of talked about already, we won't spoil this, but there is a, a post credit scene. Yes, um, I clapped like an idiot. I awesome. did too, but I feel like like people were making this out to be well, and it was like people were making it out to be like this big big surprise, and I'm so kind of surprised I hadn't heard more people talking about this honestly. Um. But we get a post credit scene, and but it, it, this one kind of felt like kind of obvious though, and 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 maybe it was probably because I was expecting it, or I expected. Actually, what I expected was what something like what happened in the post credit scene with this person was going to be more in the movie. Like, yeah, there's a reference to the character that shows up uh, uh, in the post credit scene, right. Uh, and I guess we'll go ahead and spoil it. We are going to spoil this one. Um, but um, so there's a reference spoiler. to a character. Spoiler. Yeah, so spoiler alert. There's a reference to a character during the course of the movie talking about the history of, um, you know, comes a history of this, a little bit of backstory on this character and basically how she gets that uh, golden armor that she is that you see in the trailer. So that's not a spoiler there. But, um, and this person is supposedly dead. But apparently, depending on when this time frame is, which I say that she's dead, huh? No, the well, well, because yeah, you're right. Says is that she searched for this character, and all she found was the armor. Right, but it was implied. It was implied from that, or at least that's how some people are taking. Let's put it so some people online are taking it as she said. And yes, I I agree with you with that because yes, she basically just just says like, "Hey, she finds the armor, but didn't find this person." So right. they're not saying that she was dead, but there was some implication of maybe Baba Baba Baba. But we see this character shows up at the end. So we see like a, a street festival scene, something or other, and we see the back of this character who you could kind of say was Diana. If you, at first blush, if you're not really paying the close attention, it's Diana because of, you know, the, there's this whole blue thing ensemble she's got on in the hair or whatever. And just walking away from the camera and some earthquake or whatever happens. And this character saves, a, uh, basically, you know, saves another character's uh, baby from, from being crushed by a telephone pole or whatever the case may be. And the mom comes over and is like, hey, I want to thank you for, for, uh, saving, for saving my kid. And how'd you do that? And she turns around and we get one. Wonder Woman! Linda Carter. Uh, shows up as this the the character of uh, Asteria who is being referenced earlier in the movie, uh, and even a which part of this was going back to what I was saying about the accent thing. She kind of also does the little accent thing because she was like, "Yeah, this is from my country," and you kind of hear just she's trying to do a little bit of an accent. Which it's Linda Carter. We don't, you know, sure it is what it is on that one. 
Um, but also there is a an actual wink and a nod to the character about um, you know, yeah, she's done this a, a lot before, basically, right. because she was the original Wonder Woman, you know. So right. that part right there was like, okay, I clapped like a fool, but also groaned a little bit. It was like, all right, that was a little bit too much of a wink and a nod, like an actual wink and a nod. <laughs> so like, yeah, we got it. You didn't necessarily have to do that, but you're Linda Carter. You could do that. And I am, I won't be mad at it. You know, shout out to Linda Carter. Um, we don't objectify women here, but she Absolutely. can still get it. Um, <laughs> goodness gracious. So, and I've seen a point that out online was like, yeah, they didn't do an alternate version of, you know, granted she is, you know, she has played the Wonder Woman. She, they're not, and they didn't portray her as an alternate, you know, version of Wonder Woman, but kind of was, um, with that. So I'm kind of wondering if, if, uh, if there is a, uh, third movie where they bring her back or, you know, hope, you know, you know, she stays in good health and all that kind of goodness. And, you know, cause she, yeah, she does still look really good. Um, that they'll maybe bring her back for something else, you know, for a little bit more in the, the third movie, if there is one, but it was, a, it was all in all, it was a pretty good, like, um, uh, you know, post credit scene, you know, like I said, I kind of expected Linda Carter to have shown up during the course of the movie actual, as opposed to right. that post credit scene. Um, because why would you not have her, you know, that happen if you, if you got her and able to do it and she's wanting to, wanting to, but that was a nice touch. All righty. Okay. So I think we can wrap our, uh, discussion of uh, the Mandalorian and Wonder Woman 84 here. Let me get this first ad in. And then I think we're going to like run through comic reviews and run through the news. Yeah. Uh, our first ad of the night is for Wink, the personalized wine club. Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From rosé to cabernet to torronte, Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Ever try an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. Wink Wines through CSPN. Do it today. All right. We transition into our comic book reviews. Absolutely. And uh, whoops, we are going to start off with, as we said uh, before the show, Amazing Spider-Man 54LR. So this is um, um, a Last Rites um, uh, sides thing, which, again, could have been very much just a regular issue. Um, But I there's not really. Well, actually, I know you want to do the whole uh, the creative team thing. So go ahead and do that real quick. Yeah, I'll just knock it out. It's written by Nick Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg with art by Federico Vicentini and Takeshi Miyazawa and Scott Hanna and colors by Eric Arseniega. Cool. Thank you. The only thing I'm going to say about this, and I'm just going to go off my notes on it, is like, you know, the ending of this issue would have had more weight if articles based off the solicits didn't spoil it. Mm. Um, but also that is just a, 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 you know, kind of, hey, being in our position and 
having to look at or possibly needing to look at new stuff. So that's neither here nor there on that. Um, cool. Other people won't have that issue, I don't think. When did you read it? Um, uh, wait, read this this issue? Uh, yeah, this earlier is- today. Oh, okay. So you read it after you probably saw the news article, right? Right. I read this Wednesday evening, so I missed out on getting spoiled. And I by think that's when I saw the article, I saw in the the article in question. Wednesday night. Yeah. Either it was either Tuesday Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon. One of them two. I can't remember. Right. So I was fortunate enough to miss that particular spoiling of where this might be going, but. Um, it was jarring to see the Sal Buscema art at the beginning of the book, mm-hmm. which was an excerpt from Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man number 200 right. that showed Osborn as the Green Goblin trying to assure Mary Jane that she was safe despite which, him trying to kill Spidey. Right, um, which actually sounds like that's not going to be the case if they're bringing that up because I feel like they didn't bring that up for no reason. <laughs> right, right. But, it was just like, wow, really? Mm-hmm. So... Um, so, you know, just in, 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 in short, brief strokes, uh, Norman sending in MJ to confront Kindred, um, something bad happens to Madam Webb uh, as a result of dealing with the Sin Eater. But this may have caused the Sin Eater to see things for what they really are. That and was calculated, and she's fine. But, yeah. Exactly, because of the, the nature of the Sin Eater's current abilities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we see that Norman is in is in cahoots with another longtime Spidey villain. That's at the end of the book, right? Which again, if you hadn't been, you know, been, been kind of spurred on, so and actually, I think that article might have been even before the, this week proper. Now that I think about it, but I, I might have it in the, the show notes. Uh, but regardless, um, so yeah, that still would have seemed like it's kind of out of place to me because like, why? Like, I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, we're, and we're going to definitely get into uh, this character's, um, you know, um, what this part, what this character is getting out of this, basically, you know, outside mm-hmm. of what was mentioned at the end of this. So, and there's there's definitely more things to come on that respect. Uh, but it had me kind of thinking, I was like, well, why are you you're in, involved? This is now, you know, it, it's not saying you would have never been, but it's like, why are you in this now? Um, but yeah, we'll find that out. That being said, like, yeah, this could have been, that, that's pretty much all I have to say about this is outside of like, this, this could have been a regular issue. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure why it was an LR outside of the fact that, you know, Peter's not necessarily prominently in it. Like he shows up, he's in there a couple of times, but it's just not like he's front and center. Right. So, so. that being said, um, I don't know. <laughs> that's it for that. Uh, cool. Next up, Next up, um, I would like to talk about a really strong book out this week, Doctor Doom number 10, written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Salvador LaRocca and colors by Guru EFX. This this is a primary candidate for click of the week for me. I feel Uh, justified in my glowing. I feel justified in my glowing of this book for the the length of times that I have. That's awesome, man. Um, (laughs) The aftermath of the previous issue sends Doom into the black hole, which turns out to be not what we think. Um, it yes, turns out to be a wormhole, but I'm not going to necessarily spoil what happens here. Yeah, no. But what I will say in broad strokes, 
is that Doom lands in the part of the multiverse wherein he, Victor Von Doom, finally figured out what he needs to do to succeed, and our Vic can't stand it. <laughs> so so I, I, all I'm going to say without giving too much away, like a lot of... This stuff has been kind of teased uh, in even in the the beginnings of this book. Like you know, Doom was seeing visions of uh, an alternate Doom, and we weren't sure how that was going to go. Through. Then that kind of leads up to this um, through you know through the subplot of the, uh, the the project that they're trying to deal with that less it is. But basically, I was kind of bummed about this. I like enjoyed reading this because it's like all right, I love doom both literally and figuratively being faced with himself um but also it kind of bummed me out because it was like well you know doom's gonna be doom and then and there's no change in that based off of this and that's pretty much all i'll say about it and he pretty much goes nuclear and like agent 70 said it's like yeah kind of just like but so i i I hate the implications. Well, it's not even implications because I kind of hate the the fact that it was like, all right, now we're back to business as usual doom as opposed to that doc that he's been having in not only this book, but um, like um, uh, whatever this um, infamous Iron Man book he is, which and I think about it, you know, he was trying. This, yeah, this is the journey that he's been on since Secret War. Right. But now, and this is kind of the wrap to that. Right, exactly. Which kind of bummed me out because I would have loved to see him kind of continue on this, but at the same time, I was like, all right, well, you got to get back to basics, I guess, or they wanted to get back to basics or something like that, which is such a great. The, it was it was such a great depiction of it. Mm-hmm. You got to give a shout out to Sal LaRocca on this because oh, of the way he the way he um, he plotted out that that kind of eventual. Uh, downfall that you knew was going to happen and you were maybe hoping against hope that it wouldn't happen right but because of the way it was drawn i was like of course that's what's going to happen <laughs> like you can kind of see it mid right you can kind of see when when some items end up showing up during the course of this um then during the course of this uh issue you can kind of see where it was going to a right. point but yeah like you just said like you kind of hope it doesn't like yeah maybe maybe it won't no it does <laughs> yep. 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 It totally it, it, does. It's so, funny. it's so funny. Let's just say um, uh, Vic takes a certain artifact of the Marvel universe and dials it up to eleven. Right. One that he's actually had in his, you know, in his possession in this book. Um, right. Without giving it away, but yeah, I was like, all right, well, and that if we haven't said that before, I believe this is the last issue of this book. Yes. So. That that pretty much just kind of, as uh, Agent Seven said, kind of ends that arc of uh, the journey that Vic's uh, been on since Secret Wars, which is, again still kind of a bummer to me. But it 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 went out in in the fashion that you expected it was going to, I guess. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. All right. So now, what were you going to say? No, I was about to say. Right. Much next. So now we can move on to another book because i think we start to depart after this with the exception of probably one other that we've both read yeah, the only thing that we read in common after this is excalibur unless uh, you you didn't read maestro. the maestro did you no i read maestro so okay. you want to do that one 
Yeah, there wasn't much to it, to be honest. Um, Maestro number five, this is the last issue in this miniseries um, that's a, a prequel to uh, the Hulk Future Imperfect uh, two-issue series that I'm sure Roddy Cat still hasn't read, but I'm that's trying correct. to get him to read. And I will. What's that? I say you're I right, and I, and I will. Right. So this was written by Peter David with art by uh, Hermann or German Peralta. And Dale Keown with colors by Jesus Albertov and Jason Keith. Um, we have here the aftermath of the Hulk's battle with the original maestro, Hercules, with a surprise round two. Three. Also, we see Rick Jones make his last-ditch effort to prevent the rise of the maestro Hulk. Technically, it's round three, but yeah. But, um... Yeah, uh, the only other thing I have to say about that is, uh, like, yeah, this the logical conclusion Banner speaks of is interrupted by the dead, well, by 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 the the, the round three uh, between right. him and Hercules. We'll say because I mean we pretty much already spoiled what happened in the last issue, but whatever. Um, so, and I still have the same question that I have um, going. Well, not even going into the but, but but been reading through this thing in that. Will Immortal Hulk explain the Rick Jones thing that they kind of mention here? Because there was a the little conversation between Banner and Rick Jones saying, "Like, yeah, you could have been, you could have been somebody, you could have, you could have been doing this and this and, that and the other," but also implying that, well, you you no longer, and maybe that's the implication that I'm taking, and not necessarily is there, but you know, I, I have no reason to believe that. This, Right, I'm not 100% sure how the revelation of um, Hulk's being immortal plays into the story, I'll be honest. Right, because it doesn't seem like Rick has his, uh, has his still has his, his gamma powers in this. So, which means right. that if that is the case, they got rid of it at some point. Uh, and right. maybe Immortal Hulk is going to talk about that? Maybe not, because this does not really have been... You know, this this being said in the future, there has been touches on, and even in this issue, talking about the whole dad thing, but there's been touches of uh, a Mortal Hulk kind of coming up here, but not, uh, and maybe it's just me, me nitpicking it up about that one particular part, but it's like... It's, you know, and also it's, probably giving Al Ewing space to finish his Immortal Hulk story. There is also that too. So, but I'm I'm not convinced that that part is going to get answered there either, to be honest. Uh, but that being said, this is the last issue of that. And but we also know that there is another miniseries, micro miniseries, uh, that it will be coming next month, actually. And right. they pretty much say that it is in this book, which we already already know about because we've you know we've seen articles about it. Right, because we look at solicits like we have to. So. Right. Uh, no, or like we do, and I don't know if we we have to or not, but we definitely do for reasons that that help us out. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was my only other thing with this. And yeah, we'll probably read the future imperfect at some point, uh, uh, very soon since this is dealt with. And I don't know what this, uh, that next, uh, miniseries is going to deal with, but we can reasonably assume it's going to be the establishment of, you know, the the continual establishment of what we get out of future imperfect, I guess. Right. So that being said, we can move on to, um, well, you got one more. We want to do rapid fire. Uh, if we, you want to talk Excalibur, I don't have much to say about it. So if you want to talk about that, we'll go into rapid fire right after. Um, yeah, actually, I don't really have that much to say about it. I enjoyed it; it was all right. Um, but basically, this was so. This is the X book out for the week, 
uh, and the team is pretty much dealing with the loss of Betsy or trying to deal with the loss of Betsy and Richter's trying to deal with the leaving of uh, Apocalypse for um, uh, um, uh, where he is, Oroko, whatever he is. I can't remember. Oroko, yeah. Um, so yeah, it seems like trying to deal with that Rogue kind of steps up to be like, nah, I can't deal. You know I mean? I'm still having a hard time kind of dealing with the fact that she may or may not be gone. So they pretty much don't give up that. And they call an X factor and to help out only to be, you know, told that, eh, we don't know. <laughs> Nothing's conclusive. So they pretty much take the investigation into their own hands. They end up going back over to other world. Um, and I guess I'll just drop in here that they kind of get some, they get some more help by way of one uh, classic Excalibur member, Megan, now going by, well, also going by Gloriana now. I still don't remember when she got this name. Um, I was confused. I was like, what? Who? Yeah. They call her both names. Right. Yeah, like classically, they've always called her Megan. Like maybe somewhere in the later run of um, Excalibur, they might have given her a name. I kind of doubt that. Uh, and the couple, the last couple of times that I have seen her and or her to show up, or her and Maggie specifically, and whatever, I, I want to say one of those times they definitely say that name, and I'm still don't remember how that came about. Uh, but regardless, they get some help. Uh, the team gets some help from. Um, uh, from from Megan, and there's even a Captain Power, Captain Planet reference that Jubilee. Um, I did see that. Yeah, I was like, okay, I see that. That's pretty cool. So shout out to Teen Howard and uh, and who you know for for that one. <laughs> I was about to say, and more emphasis on mutant powers being used as a circuit. Exactly, which was kind of a crux of uh, Apocalypse thing going into this uh, Excalibur series in the first place also, and uh, and apparently Richter might be taking up the cause on that one sounds like, because he's really was on uh, um, Apox jock, I guess, for lack of a term, for lack of a better word, but to be fair, you know, Apocalypse saved him from whatever he was doing at the time, so I guess I kind of get it, but he was getting a little heavy-handed with it. So, um, but yeah, the, the Captain Britain Corps show back up because they also lend a hand in this because after all, the Captain Britain Corps is back for some odd reason that we still not know the full reason for. Um, but we also find out that Betsy might actually be out there. Spoiler. Might. Right. And that's not right. necessarily that's spoiler. Because, yeah, that's, you know. that's part of the uh, the cliffhanger reveal at the end. Right. But we don't know what that is uh, in what it's doing, but we do know it's uh, definitely has something to do with her. Overall, it was a decent read, so you know, just probably not the, the the best thing of the week, but it was all right, you know, for getting for at least getting that part of the X world uh, kind of squared up to a certain extent, and that they're at least dealing with it. Gotcha, gotcha. Alrighty, uh, that uh, if says, you're that, yep. I will up the minigun for yep. rapid fire time. Rapid oh. fire, cause. Exactly. Uh, Ejectocito. Um, I will knock off the rest of my books. I only have three more books to go. Okay. Uh, Kill, Delphia, Kill Delphia number 11. This is an image book written by Rodney Barnes with art by Jason Sean Alexander and colors by Luis Nicht. Um, You know I've been uh, – you know, followers of the show will know I've been a supporter of this book. 
Um, I've been reading it regularly. Uh, we do have another chapter in the story. Um, we find out that the key to stopping the key to stopping Abigail Adams may lie with John Adams. I know him. That can't be. That's that little guy who spoke to me. Um, that's a Hamilton reference, folks. Uh, meanwhile, the Sangsters, Senior and Junior, continued to try to hash out their conflicts over digging up Senior just when he was about to find eternal peace. If that sounds familiar, um, that part with the Sangsters, you know, really just keeps carrying along uh, over the first couple of issues of this volume. So um, we'll see if that gets wrapped and we get to them dealing with um, Abigail Adams and her uh, current plot. So... We'll see how that unravels. And I'm just going to say real quick, shout out to Rodney's. Bing. Ah, there you go. Next up is uh, King in Black, number two. Written by Donnie Cates, with pencils by Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Mayer, and uh, colors by Frank Martin. Spidey finds himself trying to help a broken Eddie Brock while feeling... Uh, while while uh, while um, fleeing, that's what I meant to type. While fleeing from the null possessed heroes, uh, Johnny Storm fights a holding action while Spidey retreats with Eddie to Ezekiel's bunker, where he has been stashing Dylan and some of the other heroes who are um, trying to stay um, undetected by uh, null. And protected from Null, at least for a little while, um, where the last few heroes are trying to figure out a plan. Several avenues are pursued to marshal a second wave of heroes and villains to attack Null. Iron Man has his weirdest specific use armor yet, and Dylan Brock may well prove to be the weapon the Earth needs. Um, and lastly, for me, is Detective Comics number 1033. It's written by Peter Tomasi, with pencils by Brad Walker, and inks by Andrew Hennessy, colors by Dave McCaig. Uh, this is the final issue of Detective Comics before Future State takes over for two months and wraps up the most recent Hush storyline, where Hush tries to take advantage of the anti-vigilante sentiment in Gotham. Damien and Bruce come to a level of detente in the wake of Damien blaming himself for the death of Alfred. So that's where uh, this uh, at least um, current iteration of Detective Comics ends. My guess is that it's probably going to take a break. You know, it's probably going to pick up that is right after the break of um, Future State. I'm pretty sure uh, if I'm not mistaken, wait. No, there is going to be a new creative team on on this. My mistake. It, it's Batman that's going to maintain its creative team, but it's this it's this book that's going to get a new creative team um, in uh, uh, post future state. And that's and it for that's me. That's it for you. All righty. And for myself, uh, let's see what we got here. Star Wars Adventures Smugglers Run Number One. So basically, this is a comic adaptation of Greg Pox's uh, novel of the same name. Um, seemed all right so far. You know, I I have not read that novel, so I don't really have the. Uh, I don't I don't know it. I know of it. I don't know it though. So cool. Um, 
Next up, Spider Woman number seven. Um, you didn't you didn't read this, I guess, because I know you, you were kind of like on the hip. I've, I've, I've been I've been on the fence. I did drop this book from my physical pull list. Right. Um, I, I I think I skimmed it, and I saw that it was a direct tie into King and Black, so I figured I'd just wait. So yeah, and it is definitely that, but I, it kind of felt like I was missing something from the last issue because at the end of the last issue, this um, you saw where it's going to tie into King and Black, but it's not right. direct to what she was doing at the time where it ties in. So that part was kind of weird and kind of made me feel like I missed something, but it still ties in. So anyway, um, call back to that recent, uh, well, I won't give too much of it away, but basically it is King of Black tie-in. There's a, it was a funny, kind of sort of funny that calls back to that, uh, recent, uh, Hawkeye free fall book, um, because of the, the him and night nurse thing. Uh, and then I mentioned like the, the 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 me missing possibly missing something which I didn't in issue six. It, they just kind of moved it. Um, you know, it's a passable fastball special. Uh, just does something that's really messed up even for her uh, during the course of during the course of this. Like we know she, she's known to be a certain way, but like this this was kind of over the line, despite the fact that she's on that drug that make her a little bit more aggressive than normal, right? Um, which kind of plays into that. But then you know something happens, and you know there's someone at the end of this issue that comes back for another round. Uh, uh, with uh, Jess, we'll we'll leave it at that. Uh, Injustice Year Zero number thirteen. I believe this is the next to the last issue. I thought this was the last issue, but apparently it's the next to the last issue. Uh, the Hall takes an L and Joker's attack on it, as does the rest of the JSA, with exception of one. Actually, now that I think about it, uh, Green Arrow uh, at least gets one shot in with a classic uh, maneuver, um, <laughs> which was actually kind of funny to see. But I was I uh, appreciate it because even Joker was like, uh, "All right, yeah, I, I see how this is. This could uh, this is handy." Uh, anyway, Superman is still gullible, which leads to the Joker getting the upper hand. And that's where that kind of gets left off. And uh, apparently there's like one more issue left after this. And obviously, since this is a year zero, as it implies, you know, Injustice uh, pretty much starts a certain way. So we're just, this whole series is about getting to that point. Uh, and it'll be curious as to see how that ends up based on knowing how the, the, the series starts. Uh, Batman... Night, White Knight presents Harley Quinn number three. Um, so the Great Ghost still has some moves on him. Quimby tries to tell Harley about his mom, who is connected to the case. Uh, to the case, and uh, I guess we are meeting the producer person that we get uh, that we get mentioned of uh, in this issue. And uh, Harley and Duke do some investigating. Uh, Harley finds out. Um, Harley pretty much finds out about what we already knew about what we already felt we knew about Quimby um, um, at the, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this uh, issue. Still liking this book. Uh, that just, uh, I've been saying that every time I read this and I've been like, and I like the word that is set in. So I will say again, should check this book out if you're, if you're interested last but not least transformers back to the future. Number two, 
uh, Marty formerly meets Gigawatts and Skills, apparently, who is another um, robot in disguise, as his skateboard. I don't know when that happened, but that, that's the thing. That happened. Um, and I don't know if there's a figure for it, or is, is it probably a figure that's with that Gigawatt figure that that definitely I'm probably going to get. <laughs> Okay. Wise, uh, but I don't know. So this is this was a new one to me. Anyway, and they all go back. Well, you know, um, it's a cool Huey Lewis, right? Yeah, a little bit. I gotta go back in time. But um, Rodimus is leading the Autobots in this for some strange reason. But um, and it, it turns out that it's all Doc's fault. Uh, and we also find out about the Gigawatt's past, future. Um. Well, past basically for him, but um, and we also find out the whereabouts of Doc Brown at the end of this um, at the end of this issue. So, still a pretty good read. It's, it's, these these crossovers can go a couple of different ways. So far, it's still kind of fun, and they kind of keep it to that point. But I've been enjoying it, uh, and that is it for me. Clicks of the week. Clicks of the week. Well, we got one from uh, one of our other co-hosts, which is Dirt's pick of Detective 1033. Uh, He says, even though it feels like Tomasi got booted from a title he was doing great on and had years of storage still to go. I mean, so did Tom King, but whatever. Um, Much like Superman Ben's debacle, uh, this final issue was great and felt like the finale of the series once and for all. And for me, it might be. So apparently, I guess he's dropping it. He might be dropping Detective. Um, is there another? No, that's that. No, okay. it like uh, it yeah. doesn't look like Tim Dog. Um, yeah, Tim. Tim doesn't have a pick, and that's yeah. So that's that. And for Agent Seventy and myself, I'm gonna go with the book I gave effusive praise to praise to this week, and that being Doctor Doom number ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed seeing, you know, I know that Roddy cat, you know, uh, uh, you know, was, was, uh, kind of let down by the fact that the arc that Victor Von Doom had been on since secret wars finally came to kind of, uh, ignominious and inglorious end. I really enjoyed how it was, you know, so true to character. I know, you know, he's he's he'd been appealing to his better angels for a long time now, but he is doomed. I mean, it was it was eventually going to I feel like I've we've said this in the in some sort of past, like eventually it was going to happen. And yeah, like that's not to say that I did not enjoy this issue or this book in general, because I did, because every time I've said that pretty much every time we've talked about it. Um, but yeah, you, I still kind of hated to see get to this point. Uh, right at this point so um and yeah so this is a little behind the scenes it is i would dare say it is a rare occasion where one of us would have a click before the show uh before talking about it on the show like it has happened at times so for for um for for Agent Seven to and he and I say that because he also mentioned this before the show, <laughs> right? That this was probably going to be his click. So right, um, I mean it's one of those odd weeks, you know. It was, it's it's Christmas week, 
Yeah. For well, our selection is a little on the slim side, but for me to have a really strong feeling about it, even before we had the discussion, you know, really says a lot about the quality of the book. Yeah, there is that. And yeah, and and you know, yeah, th- that's that's pretty much that. So, and s- sometimes we've been surprised around this time of year, where it's like, no, there's some actually some strong stuff to come out. Um, right. Not always, but sometimes, like in rare occasions. Uh, for myself, honestly, um, like shout out to Transformers: Back to the Future. That was that was fun, you know, the Harley Quinn book. But actually, I'm going to probably go along with the Doctor Doom. Like I said, didn't didn't like the fact that it got to this point, but it got to this point uh, in spectacular fashion, and and you know, I've enjoyed this book. Um, yeah, it was a pretty awesome fashion. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was so epic, and and the way it's set up and drawn, it's not necessarily wide action. You know, it's not even widescreen action shots, mm-hmm. but just the, the sequence that Laroca picks to 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 show this and to depict it. Oh, amazing stuff! Amazing, amazing stuff! Indeed. Like you could just feel it happening, and that's <laughs> that's a a true testament to. To, to to really great storytelling and artwork by LaRocca and 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 a good story uh and a good script from uh Cantwell. Indeed. So with that, we will move on, and since we already got an ad read out of the way, we will move on to the cinematic news. We will transition. Or transform as a, as the case may be. Ha <laughs> nice. Um Oh, you're not gonna do the other one? Oh, you want the? No, I meant you usually have another news one that you would would have put in place. Oh, the actual news! I apologize. <laughs> I was just like, "What is he talking about?" It's late, folks. Yeah, it is. And also a little behind the scenes, if you hadn't noticed, uh, we are not doing this on the normal day we uh, we record, but on a Sunday, like Solomon Grundy, who was born on a Monday. Exactly. But um, yes, cinematic news. We, I mean, what's going to be news section? We start off with the cinematic news as per usual with the cinematic news and uh, sad news of Jeremy Bullock, the original Boba Fett, has passed away. So, Jeremy Bullock, um, the original actor who was in the suit. Uh, wait, actually, was he in the suit or was he. Um... Or was he also voiced? I think it was also voiced. I can't remember. But anyway, the original actor behind the role of famed uh, Star Wars behind the hunter Boba Fett has passed away at age 75. Uh, His family, because I think they did end up uh, switching his voice with uh, Tamura Morrison. I can't remember, though, if that was the case. I might be, because they did so many changes to to the thing. Anyway, uh, his family confirmed via a Facebook post. Though The post is currently labeled private. uh, The information was publicly confirmed on... Thursday by Daniel Logan, arguably best known as the child actor who portrayed Boba in the Star Wars prequel films. Uh, so apparently he's uh, had, he's been living with several years with Parkinson's disease, um, and he died close to home in near South London. So, um, you know, condolences to his family and, and friends. Next up. Oh, actually, by the way, you might also know his name because he played Q in um, in early versions of uh, the James Bond movies, such as Octopussy and For Your Eyes Only. 
Um, and also was on Doctor Who early in the early uh, goings. So cool. Anyway. Right. The, uh, the next article is uh, an opinion piece, a theory piece. Mm-hmm. Because One I alluded to earlier. Early, right. We discussed this earlier in that um, the Mandalorian's rebel cameo may reveal who saved Grogu from Order 66. Um, this uh, this piece um, follows some of our thinking uh, from uh, that we outlined earlier, so no need to go too deep into it, but um, it posits that it may have very well been uh, R2-D2 who found a way to rescue uh, the child, a.k.a. Grogu, from Coruscant uh, in the wake of Order 66. Hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're still going to, you know, we're, we're going to learn a lot more of this story. So uh, I hope you we know, will. You can, uh, you know, you can pause it and, 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 uh, and guess away. Yeah. Again, like I said earlier, I may have said, I can't remember if I said during the discussion or both before the show proper, but yeah, it's plausible, but kind of a stretch. But it's definitely plausible. It's definitely possible. Next up, though, uh, Boba Fett spinoff series. uh, Now, we talked about this also in the discussion of Mandalorian, but uh, Boba Fett's, uh, matter of fact, I'm going to do these next two, actually. Right, because we talked about it already. Um, or next three, really. Uh, yeah, because yeah. they're all about the same thing. So there's a Boba yeah. Fett spinoff that was uh, announced at the end of uh, Mandalorian uh, Season 2 with the post credit scene. We talked about that. Uh, please stop uh, with the video. But we also find out that... So there was speculation after this uh, this episode of what the book of Boba Fett is going to be, whether it was going to be either... Um, the Mandalorian season three or its own thing. And we come to find out that uh, John Favreau is clarifying that it's going to be its own thing and not the Mandalorian season three. So they're two separate things. Um, and we also find out um, that uh, in the next story, the last story on this one, the creative team behind uh, the book of Boba Fett um, which is not surprisingly John Favreau, Dave Filoni, but also uh, Robert Rodriguez will serve as executive producers. Um, and we also find out that Phoenix Shand, you know, if that post credit scene is an indication, is going to be a main part of this, but that was kind of a known uh, or seemingly a known thing at that point, or seemed felt to be a, a known thing at that point, given, you know, where she is at this point. Um, so there you go. That is that for that. I don't think there was anything else. Oh, there was something about it was on, uh, oh, Favreau was on Good Morning in America, basically, um, talking about the series. Yeah, yeah. clarifying, talking about the series. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Next up. Next up, the official Star Wars Instagram teases a Mace Window, re- Mace Windu <laughs> return, Mace Window. Mace Windu return on Samuel L. Jackson's birthday. Um, uh, on the occasion of Sam Jackson's birthday, the official Star Wars Instagram wished the actor a happy one and dropped a hint that the party isn't over. Um, it actually says the party isn't over. It's just beginning, sending a very happy birthday to Samuel L. Jackson. While And the article goes on to... Um, to say that while there is a chance, may not be as plausible as what I was talking about with R2 and Grogu, 
but there is a chance that we see him in the Mandalorian, but there might be a stronger chance we see him in um, uh, the the, uh, the Obi Wan series. Right. That's the work. So we will see. But it's nice to uh, get that little tease. Right. Which leading credits to as tends, things tend to happen in Star Wars universe, he probably survived uh, his <laughs> fall from a great height. Right, his betrayal at the hands of Anakin, that punk. Right, exactly. So, which makes sense because, like, we didn't see a body, we didn't see, you know. So, there's there was nothing to say that he wouldn't be alive. Then, like, yeah, he was hurt during that fight, but you know, again, Maul was cut in half, and yet he lives. So, should this shouldn't be a surprise if this ends up happening. Next up, though, Mark Hamill joins Star Wars fans in remembering Carrie Fisher on fourth anniversary of her death. Um, along with Star Wars fans across the globe, Mark Hamill is playing tribute to Carrie Fisher on the fourth anniversary of her passing, taken to Twitter and using the hashtag, uh, always with us. Uh, I believe I remember seeing this post actually, and I totally forgot about that. Um, until I saw that, uh, Hamill posted an image brandishing the phrase in loving memory of our princess, Carrie Fisher. Uh, the post has garnered hundreds of thousands of likes, which probably was going to happen anyway, because it's Mark Hamill. But, um, uh, of the likes as countless fans similarly share their own memories of Fisher and her work with tribute posts of their own. And if you're watching the video, you can see Mark Hamill's tweet right there on the article. Uh, it also says that it's been four years since we lost. I guess this is a quote from Hamill. Uh, it's been four years since we lost our beloved princess. May you rest peacefully among the stars, space angel. Oh, that's an, another fan memorial tweet read with some artwork. So never mind. Next up. All right, next up, uh, according to Kevin Feige, Chadwick Boseman recorded numerous episodes for What If, the animated series, including the episode where he ends up becoming Star-Lord. Though the late Chadwick Boseman's animated performance in Marvel's upcoming What If series will be the last time uh, fans hear him play T'Challa slash Black Panther again, that appearance might actually span more than one occasion. In an interview with Emmy Magazine, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige revealed that Bozeman came in about four times and recorded numerous episodes for What If. On being able to work with the actor like this before his shocking death, Feige felt that, in hindsight, it's very moving. Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be a hurt piece for a lot of folks uh, when those episodes drop. But, um, you know, we get a little bit more of them with us um, as we tend, as we have. Um, pardon me. Disney Plus uses the wrong name for a Spider-Woman episode. Really? Apparently. I didn't reckon. I mean, I remember seeing this episode on there, but I couldn't remember the original name. I mean, this is a show from 1979. So, I, you know, I remember the show, just not that great. Anywho, um... So Disney Plus has the, the the entire sixteen episode run of the Spider Woman series. Uh, you should go check it out. It's quite amusing, uh, including the first episode being half with Spider Man. Um, but uh, one of these, uh, uh, and actually, this actually mentions like one of these appearances was the show's seventh episode, which is strangely mislabeled uh, on one of the biggest streaming services. Despite being the only streaming service to offer Spider-Woman, Disney Plus, for some reason, gets the title of one of the episodes egregiously incorrect. I mean, you've been a little hyper about it. It's not that serious. 
But basically, the seventh episode of Spider Woman is titled The Congo Spider and originally aired uh, in 1979. Uh, apparently, instead of The Congo Spider, Disney Plus gives the episode the erroneous name of The Kingo Spider. So it was a typo. Okay. Yeah. But there's been a couple of typos I've seen on Disney Plus. This is not the only one or any streaming service. But this article kind of made a very bigger deal than needed to about this. And I felt the need to share it. So that's, you know, I I lay blame on myself. But definitely check out that Spider-Woman show if you have Disney Plus because it's dated, but it's amusing. Uh, next up. All right. Next up, um, in a new interview, Tessa Thompson has confirmed what kind of royal status her Marvel character, Valkyrie, will have in Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, we all know that Tessa Thompson will be reprising her Marvel Cinematic Universe role of Valkyrie uh, and has confirmed her character's new royal title when she says, uh, yeah, I can tease that she's definitely king of New Asgard when we find her. Thompson said in an interview with The Playlist, and as was the case in the last four, I would say that she's a part of an adventure that involved Thor in the sense that it's called Thor, Love, and Thunder. And she'd say that there's some cool stuff going on, Thompson continued. We have some new characters. We have some folks potentially from other pockets of the MCU. And then we have some folks maybe that we've seen before. Way to evade the snipers, Tessa. <laughs> this aligns with prior comments made by Thompson when Thor Love and Thunder was first officially announced. As new king, she needs to find her new queen, Thompson remarked at the 2019 Comic-Con International in San Diego. So that'll be her first order of business. She has some ideas. She'll keep you posted. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we already know Seth is coming back, so that's probably one of the the folks we've seen before business, but also some, possibly some other folks. Maybe they'll bring them back to Warriors 3, who got, you know, quickly snuffed out. Jeez. (laughs) Anyway, um, what's that? I said it's awful what they did to the Warriors 3. Yeah, they they really just, like, snuffed them real quick. I'm like, wow, that was dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, as I take this and put this over here, uh, Mandalorian's Giancarlo Exposito cast as Dr. Doom in Boss Logic art. Um, so, you know, Boss Logic, we've, 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 we've seen him around, you know, he does uh, mock-ups of, of things and things that we wish were true, uh, in a lot of cases for video games and movies and such. Uh, I- but so what? I said, right. Oh. Um, he unveiled the mock-up on his Instagram account with the caption, Breaking Bad that already set up uh, Giancarlo Esposito. The design showcases Esposito removing Dr. Doom's uh, iconic metal faceplate to re- reveal the scarred right side of his face. Um, the placement of the scars harkened back to Breaking Bad, in which uh, Esposito played uh, portrayed Gus Fring, an unsuspecting drug lord who was famously killed by an explosion. I guess, uh, spoiler alert for Breaking Bad. <laughs> if you haven't seen that show in like how many ever years it's been off. But anyway, you can see the image on this article or and or if you're watching the video right now. Which feels like it goes a little further than you know, what, um, you know, what the, the, the comic book version of, um, um, uh, Victor's scars go. And I guess one is on the left side also, but that maybe I'm, I could be totally wrong. 
Regardless, there you go. There's the mock-up. It doesn't look bad. Next up. Next up, Linda Carter's Wonder Woman series <laughs> is now available on HBO Max. So, obviously, in preparation of the, of the, I guess, highly anticipated U.S. debut of Wonder Woman 84, HBO Max announced that all three seasons of the 1970s Linda Carter-led Wonder Woman series are now officially available for streaming. So, um, it's out there, folks, um, like most 80s kids that grew up on these reruns, if you think of Wonder Woman and you close your eyes and you use your mind's eye, you don't think of Gal Gadot. You think of Linda Carter. I mean, I, you know, I was about to say something that's probably really bad. So maybe I'm going to not say that. But, um, you know, but <laughs> current folks now have uh, Gal Gadot and she, you know, and she's a great woman. So I'm not going to take that away from her. But yes, definitely I, what uh, H70 said exactly, is absolutely the case. With, right. With if you're of a certain who, vintage. Runs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, then Linda Carter is definitely our, uh, our folks. But there's a place for both of them in your hearts. Um, also, I guess this would go so far as to say that, um, yeah, because of we already know that a lot of the DC Universe stuff, that's uh, especially the video, uh, DC Universe is basically changing to a Marvel Universe, a Marvel Unlimited type of situation where it's just got the books, uh, and all of the video stuff is getting moved over to HBO Max. That is all. This is also in preparation. Is is along with that basically. Uh, but yeah, go check out that series because again, it is of a date, but it's still good. Some good stuff there. Next up, though, uh, speaking of Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot uh, addresses. I still want to call her Gadot, by the way. I don't know. I know. Yeah. We're fancy. Yeah, pretty much. Gal Gadot. Easier than it actually is. I think that's what her quote was. If I remember, we brought it up at one point in like uh, a news article. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So, but it is, it is Gadot. Uh, Gal Gadot addresses potential Fast and the Furious return. I've said this before. Um, I'll say it again. Um, Shaw presumably died. He came back to the next thing. Han died. We know where that went. <laughs> right. um, Gazelle went out the same way Shaw did. So there is no way in hell that Shaw happens to live. And we're talking about Shaw's brother and not necessarily the Shaw that's from Shaw and Ho- Hobbs and Shaw because right. his brother and whose name, first name, I can't remember. But regardless, they both, that Shaw and Gazelle pretty much went out the same way. So she could be, you know, recuperating in some hospital somewhere, you know. And I think she should come back, well, damn it, if she feels like it. It's like Liddy, you know. Right, Liddy died. Lost- yeah, Liddy, exactly. Liddy died also and she ended up coming back. Although that was, you know, some weird subterfuge in that but um and i still haven't seen nine yet so i guess i should probably get on that even though the 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 next movie's not coming up for a few months now but regardless um you know gal gadot got wonder woman so she's she's you know she's she's in a better place now but so during a recent chat with mtv news the israeli star reflected on our character's death and pointed out that viewers never actually get to see see uh, Giselle's body uh, before admitting she has no idea whether return could be on the cards. Uh, quotes: Oh wow, I didn't, I don't know. Uh, she adds with a smile. Right now, it's not on my to do list um, for obvious reasons. Uh, further into the conversation, Gadot uh, also explained what it is uh, that she looks for in her big screen roles, saying she's drawn to epic, strong female figures. Um, you know, 
since the Wonder Woman, and uh, she, I believe she's also doing Cleopatra uh, coming up, which is why this article has come out, because she was, I guess she was talking about that. Oh, wait, 9 is coming out. I don't know why I get that confused. 8 was the last one. 9 is coming out. Right. Yeah. So I still haven't seen 8, regardless. Um, and obviously haven't seen 9, because it's not out yet. So... I'm so tired. I didn't even. I didn't even want to jump in and correct you. Yeah, that's fine. I, I caught it. So, um, and apparently, it, wait, hold on. Oh wait, that's one. I'm about to say Fast and Furious out in the UK. What's what the hell? But anyway, next up. Next up, uh, something we talked about. I'll just touch on it. You know, yeah. Wonder Woman 1984 ropes in a stunning blast from DC's past. We spoiled it earlier. Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily have to go back to it then. And but if you go back to a couple of articles, you can kind of get the connections. Next up, uh, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins reveals Wonder, Wonder Brothers uh, made her change the first movie's ending. Um, basically, she was talking to IGN and she says that uh, the original end of the first movie was also smaller, but the studio made me change it at the last minute. And so that's always been a little bit of a bummer that that's the one thing people talk about uh, because I agreed and I told the studio we didn't have the time to do it, but it was what it was. I ended up loving it, but it's not the original end of the movie. And uh, um, she also added this time around, you know what I loved about it? I love that it has both at the end. We had visual effects, a big battle, which I dug into and had such a blast executing, which felt like, uh, which I felt so satisfied with. But ultimately, the end of the movie is much more pared down and uh, less effects heavy as the first one was, because I think there was an article, another article about that. Um, Apparently, that was something they wanted uh, in the first film, which a lot of people uh, to her, um, what she says in here, you know, that's the one thing people talk about in, with that first movie is that the, the bunch of effects in the, the 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 end of that last movie. Anywho, moving right along. Next up, uh, Wonder Woman 1984's director Patty Jenkins recently shared which DC and Marvel superheroes she would next want to direct on the big screen. During a live Twitter watch party of uh, Wonder Woman 84, a fan asked Jenkins which superhero character she'd like to direct next if she could choose any hero. Jenkins replied, thank you for the question, probably Superman, Spider-Man, or Black Widow. Okay. She actually probably could, especially the way uh, John Watts is doing, you know, the way John Watts is going with the spider current spider movie. She probably could actually do something pretty decent. With Spidey. Um, who knows? Black Widow, sure. Maybe Captain Marvel would have been a thing, given a thing. Who knows? Next up. Uh, the CW's Batwoman releases a massive season two synopsis. I still have yet to see season one. Uh, but we also know that, uh, you know, Ruby Rose is being replaced by Javicia Leslie. And uh, this article pretty much goes into uh, delving into you know, who's going to be around, what's involved and what's going to happen with that, which we don't necessarily need to get into. Next up. (sighs) Somehow Zack Snyder is still in our lives and he reveals that Joker's major role in creating the, the justice league's nightmare timeline. Uh, the Joker's involved with the Snyder cuts, time travel plot, time travel. Well, that's not, I mean, yeah. Cause remember we saw like the flash, um, I know. You know, we saw that stuff. So that's not that's not 
outside of room possibilities. But seriously, <laughs> so as Zack Snyder's Justice League fast approaches, more details are being regularly revealed by the miniseries' director, as well as a look at Martian Manhunter. Snyder also revealed a new slightly extended trailer and announced when we can expect the new version of Justice League to be released. Speaking to the film junkie, Snyder revealed more about the Nightmare Timeline, a worst-case scenario feature in which Superman is corrupted by Darkseid. The timeline was memorably included in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice in a scene which saw Batman fighting back against Superman's regime. Um, the vigilante was warned by a time-traveling Flash about the future. Uh, but the Flash screwed up because, you know, Snyder made it. So um, he arrived too early in the timeline for his message to make sense. Um, hold on. Uh, what do we have here? What's it? Ah, the Joker. Wait, hold on. Snyder mentioned the possibility of a comic book with artist Jim Lee to continue the Snyder cut storyline, explaining the Joker is somehow involved in the stealing of the mother box and using it to create the treadmill. Because in my mind, Cyber Cyborg was always going to be, do the math and figure out this is what we got to do to go back in time to warn Bruce correctly. Um, I don't feel so good. That's how I feel reading all that. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically trying to shoehorn the Joker in. A, again, this is a, another thing I kind of hate with the Snyder Cut thing because all this like, yeah, oh, yeah, I meant to do this. I meant to do that. And blah, 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 yes. Uh, probably that came after the fact, um, but anyway, yeah. So it's it's that's that is what it is. Also, but I will go so far as to say that I usually had a little bit more problem with the the Avengers using time travel than I had with uh, this the Justice League the whole shenanigans. Oh yeah, because it was shoehorned into uh, what's we call it into uh, Ant Man story basically. So right. So or, or basically. Ant Man story, which is you know definitely some timey wimey stuff, as 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 has been described. Doctor Who reference. All right. I was about to say I didn't even know that that was a Doctor Who reference. Totally I, I, is. I, I'm pretty sure I, I I took that from Screen Junkies. Who took it from Doctor Who? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, you know what? From them through you, whatever. I appreciate it. I like the reference. Um. Anywho. Roku officially deactivates DC Universe app. So, yeah, as we've said just uh, a few minutes ago and previously, you know, DC Universe is changing. In fact, changing next month, now that I think about it, uh, into a Marvel Unlimited type service, which means they're getting rid of um, the video stuff. So there's no need for it to be on Roku, which is just probably not true. You could totally do a service like that on a Roku or any streaming thing. Who wouldn't want to be looking at uh, watching, I mean, reading comic books on the big screen TV? A lot of people, turns out, probably. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the, 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 the app has been uninstalled from Roku, head of the relaunch of the platform, and with it, the viewer's ability to access DC TV shows uh, and movies through the digital service, digital, digital device, which is still up on the site, you know, at this point. But, you know, uh, the change happened shortly after HBO Match reached, reached, uh, had reached an agreement to be carried on uh, Roku says comicbook.com uh, and now users get an error message when they try to use the DC Universe app. So they can't read their books there, but, you know, or anything else. Which, again, I'm not sure who was doing it. I feel like Tim said he might have tried or, or tried it. I don't know. 
No, I, yeah, I was about to say, and I think PCN underscore dirt also read books on the TV. Right. So, you know, somebody tried it. I don't think it had a version of that app uh, that did work uh, like that. I think I clicked through like one one book and I was like, ah, that's enough for me. See, did that, the Xbox app might have, but I ain't never use it. And I don't even turn my Xbox that often anymore. So anyway, that's, so that's the thing. So there you go. I Next set on Fire Stick and I, and I was able to do it. I, I just it didn't appeal to me, so sure. it didn't really matter. Right. All right. Uh, next up, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and more Cartoon Network classics hit HBO Max in January. Uh, who? Really? That's just my age showing. Um, Hell, I know about these shows, and this and this and this uh, past me. <laughs> HBO Max is January 2021. Editions include classic Cartoon Network shows like Ed, Ed, and Eddie, codenamed Kids Next Door, Encourage the Cowardly Dog. Um. Per Warner Media, Ed, Ed and Eddie is, stated, is slated to start streaming on HBO Max on January 1st. Happy New Year. Um, in addition to Ed, Ed and Eddie, um, also on January 1st, uh, Codename Kids Next Door will come out. Courage the Cowardly Dog will come out. And The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy will also come out. We also get... Um, Long Live the Royals, which is like a more recent Cartoon Network stuff. And uh, season two of Craig of the Creek, uh, season one's already on HBO Max. Craig of the and Creek season really good. A of 10 is set to arrive on January 9th. And I greet that all with a collective. Who? Okay, Craig of the Creek is really good. And out of uh, all of that stuff mentioned, I like Codename, uh, Codename Kids Next Door. The rest of that can kind of go. But I know there are people younger than us who love those shows. Uh, but in addition to actually those shows coming to HBO Max in January, we also are getting Batman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, The Mummy, and more. Because also, again, like I said, a lot of stuff from DC Universe is getting shuttled over to HBO Max. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Batman Animated Series on HBO Max. Cool. If you didn't already have a way to, to watch this stuff, and now you do. Or now you will. And Batman Beyond, which I know some people ended up liking but also see batman begins the the dark knight and the dark knight rises are going to be there uh superman doomsday man of tomorrow and superman returns will also be joining the dc lineup which i could have sworn superman returns was already there um i might be wrong about that or maybe it's on something else and maybe it's on netflix or something i don't really know regardless um so the rest of that stuff is also going to be there and as well as some other stuff like uh mad max free road and Kill Bills and things. But comic-wise, everything I said previous to that <laughs> is relative. Next up. Uh, spoilers! For people who are watching The Expanse, Razorback's new name is a tribute to fans. Uh, the Razorback was once Julie Miles Racing Skiff. Since her death, the light ship has been commandeered by Bobby Draper, who used it in her and Christian Avasarella's escape from Jules Pierre Mao's ship, the Guanxian. Um, as of the beginning of Season 5, um, the Razorback has been officially renamed the Screaming Firehawk, a tribute to fans who helped save the Expanse from cancellation. Okay, good job. Um, I ship Bobby and Christian and I don't care about that other ship that people are trying to, trying to, trying to do lately. What are you doing? Stop it. Expanse is a good show, by the way, if you like good, uh, good, hard, uh, sci-fi. 
I still need to catch uh, up on the last couple of seasons. Up, huh? I've got things about it. I just haven't picked it up. Yeah, based off books, you know, yada yada. You know, if you hadn't heard about it by now, you, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I've I've enjoyed that show. Next up, uh, Daft Punk releases complete edition of their stunning Tron Legacy score. Um, so basically, uh, you know, the soundtrack's been out there, but there's been some other tracks that's been in other places, and now there's a complete version that puts everything together, and it is going to be available, or it is now available on Spotify and Apple Music. So if you, like me, love the freak out of that Tron Legacy soundtrack, and I don't know too many people who didn't, you can go ahead and get all of that. Next up. Next up, there is an in-story reason Cobra Kai heads to Japan in Season 3. Ralph Macchio revealed that financial issues with Daniel's business gives Cobra Kai an excuse for him to visit Japan and stop by Okinawa in Season 3. Okay. He's not a man who will fight for your honor. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, as in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Macchio reveals, or Macchio reveals, that the narrative rationale behind daniel's japan visit is to help salvage his car dealership financially okay and not to be confused with uh, the comic book writer uh comic book ed writer editor of marvel note by the way exactly. which has always been funny to me um but also didn't he become some kind of right wing okay anyway you know what we're gonna go right past that and get into the comic book news more transition! And I'm talking about the actor, not the, not the comic writer. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Um, yes, meanwhile, at the Venom... I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, Venom reveals that uh, why the Avengers can't trust Spider-Man. So basically, for the second time in as many as months, someone else g- uh, gave up Tony Stark's number, and apparently this time it's Spider-Man. So, spoiler alert for Venom 31, which has probably already been out since now. Next up. One moment. All right. Um, America Chavez's solo series lands new release date ahead of her MCU debut. America Chavez is finally returning to comics. Um, She's going to star in a five-issue miniseries by Kalinda Vasquez and Carlos Gomez titled America Chavez Made in the USA, which will reveal more about her powers and origin and promises a shocking ramification for the Marvel Universe. Uh, Let me see when this release date is and we can move on. One moment while I scroll through this article. Roddy Cat is sharing it with you guys right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Where, oh, where is this? Probably at the very... All right, so it goes on sale in March 2021 for Marvel Comics. Yay. Yep, the cover looks nice. Um, we'll see how that pans out. Um, she should have had a solo series, which she did. Star Wars, Star Star Wars. She did have a solo series. They, I know. They, they launched. Saying, but they were they, doing. The, yeah, but, they but did they it when killed it. Uh, they launched hip hop covers. Right. Yeah, but it it died on the vine. So it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Star Wars creative team pitched a male love interest in 2016. Uh, this is actually kind of spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy number nine, which came out last week. And we kind of gloss over this part because we found out in this issue that uh, Star Lord is bisexual. Um, just like his former love interest, Kate Pride, <laughs> by the mm. way. Um, so, yeah, we found out he's bisexual and in a polyamorous relationship. 
Yay. Uh, however, the hero could have been in a same-sex relationship much earlier because Chris Anka revealed that he and Chip Zdarsky is a creative team behind Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. Why do I keep doing that? Marvel Star Lords ongoing series in 2016 uh, had developed and designed a character intended to be a love interest for Quill. And you can see the, the mock-up for that from Chris Anka uh, if you're watching the video. Uh, with his caption of uh, what what they had done. I remember seeing this art, what does uh, seeing this tweet. I'm like, okay, cool, interesting. Next up, <sighs> um, Wally West may take over the Flash mantle from Barry Allen again. Right, DC has <laughs> the possibility of Wally West carrying on the legacy of the Flash when the Scarlet Speedsters. Main ongoing title returns in March 2021 following the Future State event. Um, okay, it's teased. Yeah, basically. Um, which I guess Wild West fans will be happy about because given, you know, his current, or well, I guess coming out of uh, Heroes in Crisis, people are like, what, why, huh? What are you doing to, to Wally? So, I don't know, maybe this will put him back into prominence. Who knows? Bendis teases new Justice League series with major roster shakeup. Um, Brian Michael Bendis teases a major, major shakeup to DC's Justice League. Uh, as he wrote on Instagram, what? Wow. Or wow, what? I guess. Which almost had me uh, going back to Hamilton on that, but whatever. Stay tuned. Uh, um, accompanying the text is a is a David Marquez drawn and Tamara Bond villain colored image of nine superheroes in silhouettes: uh, Green Arrow, Black Canary, Hawk Girl, Hippolyta, Black Adam, Naomi, Superman, Aquaman, and Batman. And you can see the said image uh, right right here if you're watching the video. Um, I. I'm just going to pause it right here. Like I probably have already jumped off of Justice League thanks to uh, Darth, um, Death Metal, Darth Metal, whatever it is. Um, Dark Knight's Death Metal. Yeah, whatever. Excellent. Um, so I don't know if Ben's being on board is going to get me back on it. Although I would like to see a lot of these characters interact. That being said, let us move on. All right, next up, Damian Wayne strikes out on his own in solo backup stories in March Batman titles. Uh, Damian Wayne will feature in a solo backup story in March's issues of Batman and Detective Comics. This is, come, this is following up on the events of uh, Detective Comics 1033, which we discussed uh, earlier tonight. And I guess I'll take this time to, to mention, like I should have before we started doing this section of the news, is that the solicitations for March 20, 2021 are now out including DCs. So some of this news is coming from that. Harley Quinn takes over promotion of her new ongoing series from DC. Uh, I remember seeing this issue, uh, this, um, this on the Twitters. Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rossimo's, Rossimo's are, um, Rossimo are launching a new Harley Quinn ongoing series at DC in March. And ahead of that, DC has found a spokesperson to help promote it, Harley Quinn. Uh, in an email sent out to retailers earlier this week, DC relayed what they say is Dr. Holly Quinzel herself talking about this new era. Uh, era. And uh, there's a quote here from that, which I probably won't get into, but you can see some um, little bits of art uh, in the article here. And um, 
a video that has absolutely positively nothing to do with that is playing on this stupid site. Uh, and also the cover. So there you go. Next up. Okay. In some Dark Knight's death metal silliness, uh, some spoilers here. DC's most powerful hero just lost his head. Oh, screen rant. Boom, boom. So, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's a screen rant uh, headline right there for clickbait. So uh, the Spectre, one of the most powerful heroes in the DC Universe, just literally lost his head in a battle with the demon Surtur, and Thor was nowhere to be found. This is from uh, uh, the, the Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Crisis on Infinite Earths, book by writer Steve Orlando, artist Mike Perkins, and colorist Andy Troy. I believe this was out uh, last week? I believe so. So... Yeah, this describes Surtur literally chomping uh, the Spectre's head off, and that's pretty graphic. So, um, you know, what are you going to do? It's a dark multiverse tie-in, though, so. Right. Also, not the first time in DC history a character's got their head bitten off. (laughs) But anyway, um, and also, you know, not the craziest line from an, an, um, or not the corniest line I've, uh, article title that I've seen from any outlet because we know the rest of them have them also Anywho, infinite uh, infinite frontier zero reveals the next era of the DC universe. Uh, this is a 64 page one shot uh, presents infinite possibilities for the world's greatest heroes, superheroes on March 2nd, 2021. So that's, this is when infinite zero infinite frontier, excuse me, is going to be released. And it basically says here is that um, excuse me, the DC Universe enters its next phase this March with the release of Infinite Zero, Infinite Frontier Zero, number, excuse me, Infinite Frontier number zero, 64 page one shot, like I said, from the most creative and innovative storytellers in comics that set the table for new tales, talent, and characters for 2021. It should be noted this is coming off of a DC Comics website, so you can kind of see the bend there. Uh, as uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal exposes our heroes to the multiverses, darkest threats, and DC's future state provides a glimpse into the fe- possible future of the DC universe, this blockbuster one-shot propels our heroes into the current day and into a world of endless possibilities. Kind of sounds like a fifty-two new, uh, new, uh, new fifty-two situation. In Just a, a little. Uh, so yeah, we won't. Need to, so there is that. Next up. All righty, Justice League, who's who in DC's Infinite Frontier teaser. So there's a frontier, uh, a teaser issue, a teaser image that is um, that with lots of hints for several characters that we're familiar with. You know, one of them is what Roddy Cat just discussed, that being a new composition for the Justice League with some, let's say, new Justice Leaguers, like new Avengers joining that have never actually been part of the Justice League before. Oh, weird. That's um, never happened before. What's that? Oh, weird. That's never happened before. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you know, it's never happened before in a Bendis book. Never. Huh. You know, there'll be a couple of new recruits, um, uh, namely a, a Bendis creation uh, named Naomi. Um, the Titans are back with Nightwing and Donna Troy leading the charge against Lobo. Okay. I mean, I like these characters being part of the Titans, but uh, Cyborg is still allegedly part of the uh the varsity so that's you know that's still kind of annoying 
Um, the Suicide Squad is uh, made up of uh, characters who are being highlighted in James Gunn's film. Heroes in Crisis, I guess, is going to be uh, uh, going to be dealt with in, in a sense. Well, I guess there's no there's, there's heroes not in not not in the sense of dealing with that storyline, but dealing but there's going to be heroes dealing with crises. So mm. you know, it is decent after all. And also, it sounds uh, like uh, if that other article is to be, to, to be uh, believed, that Wild West is probably going to be the Flash. Okay, and the only discernible villain seen in the teaser image is Darkseid. Okay, yeah, yay, I guess. But also, I mean, like, hey, um, if we think about what happened with Marvel now, like I said, that was the other you know thing we were talking that we were joking about when you know Miss Marvel and them <laughs> joined the Avengers, right? Uh, which was actually not a Avengers book, I don't think. But um, either way. Uh, revisiting Jim Lee's no 5G, no reboot comment in light of uh, Infinite Frontier. So this is a Newsarama article, basically, you know, after the, the Infinite Frontier thing that we just mentioned uh, was, was announced, they decided to go back and, you know, revisit and, and you know, scrutinize, I guess, uh, you know, the comments Jim Lee said about no, no 5G, no reboot. So what you can read in this article if you so please next up Jim Lee brought holiday holiday cheer uh, with free sketches for essential workers Jim Lee spent Christmas Eve delivering free comic sketches to essential workers in California Um, he put a message out on Twitter he's looking to bring some holiday cheer in person to those who are putting themselves out this night for those of us fortunate enough to home to be home with our loved ones. Don't worry, we'll keep our distance, he says. The collection includes drawings of Batman, Joker, and Wonder Woman. Um, later that night, Lee shared a video and photo of him delivering drawings to workers at Long Beach Memorial Hospital and North Hollywood, respectively. Um, you know, it's, it's far from his first charitable offering uh, during the coronavirus pandemic. It's true. And again, if you're watching the video, you can see um, you know, his Twitter posts about that. So, cool. Next up, uh, Invincible animated series debuts comic faithful uh, action figures. Shout out to Tim for writing this article. Um, the upcoming uh, Invincible animated series for Amazon Prime has revealed its first set of action figures, which remain faithful to the comics created by Robert Kirkman, Curry Walker, and Ryan Otley. Uh, the first set of figures are titled The Invincible Animation Deluxe Action Figures. And is a Diamond Select Toys release. Um, and you can see that there's Invincible right there. There's his dad, Omni-Man, and other pictures. Well, not even other pictures, but a couple other shots of those two figures. So I believe they are going to be released. Oh, they go on pre-order... On the 23rd, which is already passed, December 23rd, and they will be $24.99 each and will be released in the summer of 2021. So if you care, there you go. Have at it. Next up. Next up. Um, NECA showcases Homelander and Starlight figures from the boys. Uh, feel free to take a look at this article. The figures look pretty dead on, so they're, they're pretty good. But uh, NECA's quality control is kind of hit or miss, so uh, take that for what it is. Indeed. Um, 
when are they going to be out next season well they're going to be out just like there's no date for it so there you go look forward to that whenever um baby yoda is the latest google ar object you can add to your home so you know doing ar for google is not a not a new thing and it's not the first time so if you want to see this in action you could just do a you go on your phone do a search for baby yoda grogu or the child on your phone it will bring up the usual searches but there's somewhere in there that will say view in 3d if you scroll down a little bit if i'm not mistaken because i think i did i did this a couple of days ago tap that and then click view in your space to conjure up the child complete with blinking eyes and wiggly ears uh, crank up the volume and you'll even hear Grogu's signature gurgling noises. So if you just can't get enough of um, of uh, of uh, Baby Yoda, a.k.a. Grogu, then here you go. This will tide you over until you get those figures. <laughs> if you don't already have those figures or something of the like. Next up. The Mandalorian's Darksaber joins the Premium Force FX lightsaber line. Uh, Star Wars and the Mandalorian fans will be able to wield or cosplay with their own life-size replicas of the Darksaber soon enough, courtesy of Hasbro and the Force FX Elite brand. The replica, which is currently available to pre-order for $214.99, combines advanced LEDs and entertainment-inspired lightsaber sound effects, making it the most realistic Force FX lightsaber yet. Its blade not only boasts television-accurate sound effects, but also unique lighting effects like a progressive ignition, battle clash effect, molten tip effect, light up hilt, and the first ever Star Wars FX Elite lightsaber white LED blade edge. The darksaber hilt can also be detached from its extended blade and placed on a display stand. Uh, have you ordered yours yet? Not I- yet, and I was actually about to say I really, really want this, but that's a lot of money. It is, but all those listen. Take it from me, who has um, some of the Marvel Legends stuff, mm-hmm. the the uh, you know the the replica cosplay props. Mm-hmm. These are expensive because they light up. Oh, I know. I mean, I, I'm well versed in the Force Effect stuff and and the quality of them. And like I said, I'm not saying they're not worth the price, but it's still right. a lot of money. But also, it, uh, when I first saw this, I saw a, another. Um, um, another listing from Entertainment Earth that was like for two fifty. Even higher. Yeah. Yeah, they're getting their uh, markup. Mm-hmm. So this is a better deal. A slightly better deal. <laughs> right. Through, uh, wait, what's it? Who is it? Is this um, it's GameStop? Huh? Oh, GameStop? Yeah, so it's like I said, it's GameStop. So this yep, is yep, probably yep. the way to go while they still have the sale up, folks. I don't know when the sale is going on end, uh, but as of the time of this uh, show and, uh, and the writing of this article, which was three days ago, you might want to hit hit that up. Hold on, I just clicked the link because now I'm curious. Let's see. We're waiting for it to load, 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 yeah, load, 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 just, load. Yeah, load, I just clicked off from it, so it's totally. You can still do it. Yeah, you can still click order. Mm-hmm. I just did it. So yeah. So yeah, there you go. Two 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 fifteen for for a dark saber, which you know, like I said, I really really wanted. <laughs> yeah, release day is June first of oh one. Hmm. Well, no, June 1st of 2021, that is. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. Uh, next up, though. All right. Uh, okay. Oh, no, this is you. Mm. Uh, Star Wars Vintage Collection celebrates Boba Fett with Kenner's Slave One ship. This was inevitable. 
Uh, Boba Fett's iconic ship, the Slave One, which recently, y- y'all know it's been in the mind long. We all know this. Um, they're basically putting out uh, a figure available in May 2021. It is available for pre-order right now for 150 uh, from Entertainment Earth. Uh, and is exclusive to Entertainment Earth. So I was about to say maybe you can find a cheaper price elsewhere, but it doesn't look like that might be the case if it's exclusive. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like it's the it looks like the there you go. Here's pictures. Uh, slave one with the carbonite uh, Han Solo. Uh, here's the compartment where um the the you know the thing turns up. Uh, well, or turn to the side rather. So you know, it's it's basically the, the Kenner thing. There's the box, the old Kenner box. It's all there, folks. Hit it. Next up. Next up, according to a recent leak, the Black Panther Operation update is coming to Marvel's Avengers video game soon with new story missions and a Wakanda region. A whole new Wakanda update with the first ever proper raid has been leaked for Marvel's Avengers, along with the long rumored and previously leaked playable Black Panther. Okay. Yeah. I'm, Good fans of this game. Uh, I believe, and I know this was a calculated thing to where they, I think they scheduled us to be, to come around like a black, like, uh, around, uh, sometime in February or black history month. I don't know the exact date, but I'm, I think that's when they scheduled to say this. And I know the Fortnite thing is already out right now, but whatever, who cares? Um, but it also the figure the things look good there. So whatever. Next up though, uh, Demon Days X-Men kicks off Japanese horror story from Marvel Stormbreaker Peach Momoko, which is an awesome name. Uh, Peach Momoko, one of Marvel's inaugural class of Stormbreakers, who's been pretty much already doing work, but nevertheless, we won't go back on that again. Uh, breakout artist whose work the publisher is highlighting is significant will make her mark on the Marvel Universe with her first interior work in March 2021. Uh, Momoko will write and draw Demon Days, a five-part prestige format limited series, marking her first interior comic book work for Marvel. Uh, the story takes place in Japan and focuses on a group of Marvel characters reimagined for what Momoko describes as a traditional Japanese yokai-style horror story, which tell tales of uh, historic, uh, excuse me, heroic samurai bewitched uh, and enticed by demons. So, cool. Next up. I do like the okay. art style. It looks good. Uh, anyway. That? So the art style looks good on that. All right, Wheezy and Walt Simonson are reteaming uh, for an X-Men Legends X-Factor story. The creative team and life partners will revisit X-Factor for a new in-continuity story. Husband and wife creative team uh, will reteam on an X-Factor story for Marvel's upcoming new X-Men Legends title, which will, ret- which will tell in-continuity stories set in the past by high-profile X-Men creators. Uh, Wheezy was pre- was previously confirmed to be writing an upcoming arc in the series announcement. Now we know it'll be illustrated by her husband, Walt, who has recently been posting X-Factor character sketches on his Facebook and Twitter accounts. I can attest to that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm actually kind of looking forward to this X-Men legend thing. Um, not to be confused with the video game and what they plan on. Action figure. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> that too. Um but um, yeah, to see what this the, the series is gonna do. Next up, uh, new top secret Spider-Man costume to be revealed next week. 
Um, so Marvel, again, solicits this out, so this is coming from over that. And basically, this is um, saying that Amazing Spider-Man number 62, which is due out March 27th, 24th, excuse me, will unveil a new suit for Peter. Uh, and again, and this is why this is where I said uh, the spoilers because this is the article I was talking about earlier. Because it says here, following the tra- traumatic events of Sin Rising, Peter Parker will need a new suit for his face-off against. I won't spoil it. In the next arc of writer Nick Spencer's hit run, um, the top secret new the top secret costume will debut in the issue that I just mentioned, and etc. 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 Next up. Next up, uh, Spider-Man and Monica Rambeau are, quote, re-teaming up before WandaVision. Um, Spider-Man will soon be teaming up with Monica Rambeau, the former Captain Marvel, ahead of the latter's appearance in the upcoming WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. She's going to join forces with the wall crawler in King in Black symbiote spider-man number three by writer peter david and artist and that's being charitable (laughs) shots fired son agent seven in pc underscore dirt's favorite artist (laughs) monica has enjoyed something of a renaissance in the past few years and the story will continue that trend involving the hero in a prequel story to marvel's current blockbuster event king in black okay yeah and basically why i said re as opposed to say teaming up because one there's been marvel teamers before i'm pretty sure where they have teamed up before but also right. the, the original story where monica gets her powers in amazing spider-man uh annual what 16 or what it was uh, I don't remember the number, but yeah, it was an annual. Yeah. I would just say that um, the whole point of the symbiote Spider-Man book is that it is uh, told in retro continuity. You know, it's it's retroactive continuity. It's told in the past. So right. So, uh, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man Annual sixteen. There you go. Anywho, but the way they phrase it here is like, wait, why did it have, what has nothing to do with WandaVision? But okay, I, I get it. I, I get it. <laughs> Anyway, last but not least, um, Black Knight returns with a curse in March. I think we've probably talked about this book, or unless it was we were talking about something to lead into King of Black, probably. But anyway, spinning out of January's King of Black, uh, Black Knight, this March Marvel Comics, uh, this March Marvel Comics will launch Black Knight: Curse of the Ebony Blade, a new limited series by writer Cy Spurrier. Who writes the January King in Black one-shot and artist Sergio Davila? The new title will explore Dane Whitman's relationship with his legendary cursed sword, the titular Ebony Blade, as this become the targets of a new villain's obsession. Marvel states the series will revive and revamp aspects of the uh, Dark Knights, excuse me, of the Black Knights mythology, a sentiment Spurrier himself echoes. Um, so cool i guess and also we know this characters are going to be in eternals at some point so you know sure put them back out there um next up well that's it actually so we are done with the news section so one more ad read from me please sir our last ad read of the night and you know when we're in a hurry this is what we do keep our podcast free by shopping at amazon Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. 
From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or those gifts you just forgot to get. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And as we come to an end of another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles, thank you each and every one of you for coming out. I know this was a bit of a long one because of the, um, you know, because of Mandalorian and Wonder Woman 84, but, you know, it was worth it. I may consider splitting this up into two. I don't know. We'll see how that works out. Uh, but if not, one way or the other, you will be able to find it out there um, in the affirmation place. Well, well, in the place we're about to talk about. I have been Roddy Cat. You can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. You can find me at News Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. You can find Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram and apparently China, Chinatown in the John Wick universe. There you go. Uh, you can find PC and underscore dirt on Twitter at that. And you can also find him at um, um, Pop Culture Net on Twitter. Also, popculturenetwork.com and all those umbrella sites therein. And probably still on uh, Byte under comic reviews, no vowels. Tim DOGG98. The Osiris of this is You can find him at Tim DOGG98 on Twitter. You can find him at uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Comic Chronicles Twitter account. You can also find him on the Click Nation on Twitter, the K L I Q N A T I O N, also the ClickNation.com. But most, uh, mostly you will find him on Comic Book Resources, where he's over there writing his face off. <clears throat> you can find this here program on the Coastal the Podcast Network, that's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this um, on your podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, uh, Spotify, or the Coastal of Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And you can also find us here uh, mostly every Thursday night, which is the exception of this next one because it's New Year's Eve. Uh, but normally Thursday nights, 9.30ish p.m., where we record live, usually on uh the Click Nation's YouTube channel and or uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles, all one word. Hit the like and subscribe buttons. Indeed, yeah. If we get some more subs over at Twitch, hopefully we get some more uh, streaming of some stuff over, over there out of the way. I still hadn't done the one I said I was going to do, but it's, it's it'll happen. And that is a promise. Uh, that being said... Like I said, next week, New Year's Eve, so we will not have we will not be recording a show on Thursday night, but there will possibly be a show next week uh, that'll come out a couple of days later, which means the audio will be pushed a couple of days later after that, or at least a day or two later after that. But since they've been coming out on Sundays anyway lately, it's kind of what's a day, right? Uh, that being the case, enjoy the rest of your 2020 as such as you can. And let's just hope for a new and better year into 2021. This seriously, Yeah. Merry New Year. Exactly. Oh, you know, I'm gonna pull that up for next show. 
You just know it. But um, that being the case, stay tuned for that. Uh, there might actually also be another show between here and there. I'm not sure when I'm going to put this into the feed, but the aforementioned uh, Mandalorian Season 2 uh, um, Treasury Edition, where we pretty much bundle up all those, all of us talking, uh, all of the talkings we did on the Mandalorian Season 2 into one episode, just in case, you know, you're finished with it right now and want to do go back and do a recap or or hear our views on them. There you go. Uh, and I'm also stalling because I, I'm trying to find this stupid thing. There it is. Okay, so this, folks, has been The Comic Book Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. Wakanda forever! Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it's, it's Dr. Doom? What's on your